With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. You are in the spotlight with Brian Garner for this Tuesday, March the 10th, 2015. Good to have you all here for our first and more than likely our only show of this week. Yes, that's a change from our thinking from last week. I will explain that more uh, in just a little bit. Um, but before we get going, I want to um, uh, mention something off the top. And this might be something completely um, – this might not be something that people are aware of. This is more of a local thing for where, from where I live, which is in central New York, around the Syracuse area. But I want to start this show off because, you know, maybe if you follow minor league baseball or baseball in general, you might know of this person. Because um, he, he, he was a very prominent owner. Um, and he's... He's on the board of directors, I think, for the International League. I, 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 I'm blanking on the details right now of his many accomplishments, but I do know that he used to be my boss. Um, I worked for him for uh, 11 years, and he ran. And, and the man I'm talking about is Anthony Tex Simone. Um, he was the general. He he worked his way up the ladder. Um. Of, of baseball in, in regards to the Syracuse Chiefs. And he ended up becoming the general manager of the Syracuse Chiefs, eventually the owner of the Syracuse Chiefs. And, and he was – he held that position until 2013. And he – you know, you might have disagreed with some of the things that he did. I worked there for, like I said, 11 years. My father worked there – um, several years prior to when I started, um, I it, the, the working for the Chiefs was my first job. Um, for many years, it was my only job. And um, you could disagree with him. You might disagree with him. You might not have always liked um, some of the ways he handled things, or some of the things that he did. But I think we can say that about anybody in in this world. Um, you know, but I will say this much. Um, the man saved baseball in the Syracuse area. He was huge in, 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 in minor league baseball, in the international league. He did a lot of great things. And he truly was a great man. And his family was a true a true fixture in this community, and they still are. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment at the top of the show, and again, I, I'm sure that many of you out there do not know who I'm even talking about, and, and, and 
that's not a knock on on who I'm talking about. It's just you know this is more of a local kind of thing. But I think if you if some people might you know if you follow minor league baseball, particularly the international league, particularly the Syracuse Chiefs, you might know who this who he is. Um, you know the Chiefs have been under new ownership for the last year and a half, almost two years now. But um, Anthony Texamone did a lot for for minor league baseball. And obviously for the Syracuse Chiefs, he saved the he saved the Syracuse Chiefs. He kept them in Syracuse. He's the reason they're still here. Um, he built the new ball. He he was responsible for the building of a new ballpark. He did so much. And um, I just want to take a moment at the top of the show to express condolences because um, he passed away uh, last Friday um, at the age of 86. So I want to express my condolences, my thoughts, and my prayers. Um, to the Simone family, may text rest in peace. A great man, uh, a, a pioneer in a lot of ways. And um, again, our condolences, thoughts, and prayers to the Simone family and text rest in peace. Okay. Um, and right now, I want to quickly remind you all of the ways in which you can interact and contribute to our show. You can do so by emailing us at itspotlightbg at gmail.com. That's itspotlightbg at gmail.com. It's my email as well as the show. And please remember to put in the subject line of your email some idea of what your email is about, if it's feedback or a reaction to something myself or somebody else on the show says, if it's a topic or a breaking news item. Let's give us some idea of what what it is. helps with organizing things for us. If you could do that, we'd appreciate it. You can also follow us and tweet us at ITSpotlightBG. Again, it's at ITSpotlightBG. That's my Twitter handle as well as the shows. And please remember to use the hashtag, hashtag ITSpotlight. Again, it's hashtag ITSpotlight for anything you tweet regarding our show. You can also find us on Facebook. To find our fan page on Facebook, search for us using the full show title of our show and the Spotlight with Brian Gardner. And once you find our page, like our page and go ahead and post whatever it is you'd like to post. Um, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or email, if you post or send something, I assure you, myself or Jeff Tech will see it. We take turns looking at everything. Um, we can't it, it just be, a, you know, just don't freak out if we don't mention, use, or acknowledge what you post or sent on the show. Um, and if we don't reply back, don't freak out. You know, we can't possibly reply back to everybody, and we can't possibly acknowledge, mention, or use everything that's sent in or posted. So don't freak out if you, you know, don't hear what you posted or sent, you know, or don't see it acknowledged or don't get a reply back. Just rest assured, we've seen it if you posted it or sent it. Just be aware of that. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. As you all know, last week, the plan was that we were going to try something new this year. We were going we to really try to fit two shows in um during March. Now, March, for those of you that are newer listeners, has always been a month of difficulty for us because here's the thing. One thing I learned, and I learned this early on when we did the shows the first year, was that people were not going to listen to us during March Madness. You know, and I, I knew that, and that's why I, I kind of made a preemptive strike, and I'm like, hey, you know what? We're not going to have shows on the Thursday of conference tournament week. We're not going to have shows the first two Thursdays of the NCAA tournament. Now, once you get to Final Four week, you can go back to Thursday shows because obviously the Final Four games are on the weekend, so that doesn't interfere in any way with us, our show. 
I, 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 I saw a lot of warning signs. Hey, you know what? Eh, you know, I saw people saying, "Oh, I can't wait to watch the watch the tournament." I had a feeling, and and since then, since the first year we've done this show, we're going on five years now. We've never done Thursday shows the first few weeks of March. You know, conference tournament week and the first two weeks of NCAA tournament are always preemptions on Thursdays. Now, the problem with that is that means that our Tuesday shows for three weeks are jam-packed, and they lo- they go very long. And this is especially hard, you know, the week after the bracket, the Tuesday after the brackets come out, we want to have a full show dedicated to, you know, bracketology and stuff, and we have to squeeze everything in. So it, it becomes very difficult. Um, and I really wanted to avoid that this year, and, and we still might. Um but then, you know, over this weekend, when you know, last week when I was talking about how we're trying to figure out a way to get two shows in a week here for the next few weeks, I mentioned, you know, I want to avoid daytime shows. I know it worked for Football Friday, but, I, 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 you know, I, I really don't want to do daytime shows for, our, for us. I don't. Um, it just becomes too much of a hassle, and it becomes too much of a problem for our audience, and, it's, you know, we have to get them to find the episode, and it's just, it's, 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 you know, it, it doesn't work to me at least not efficiently enough to keep doing it, okay? So over the weekend, I received a number of, of emails and, 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 some, and some feedback from our listeners who were telling me, you know what, do, we re- do you really need to do two shows? Because one of the ideas I said was, it was and, and, I, I was, and I mentioned this on Thursday, I was leaning in this direction last week. You know, we'd record the episode ahead of time and just post it on Tuesday. And we could really do that with the entertainment stuff because, you know, you don't have to do that on Tuesday, you know, you can or on a certain day. As long as you get in before the next weekend, you're good. Um, but then here's the thing. I have to remember this, too. In order to make the best show I can, I have to be able to have everything in order. And I have to be able to have the time. I my, I have to be able to have my co I like to have my co-host and Jeff Tech and everybody on board and able to do the to, to do the show and problem is if we had to record the show ahead of time we more than likely have to do it on a night where not everybody probably would be available or we'd have to squeeze it in and it just compromises things and right now there's you know it, it just it was just I I, I quickly learned that it was going to be a problem. So basically I found out it was not going to be as easy as I had hoped. And if we can't record it ahead, then the only thing we could do was do a daytime show, and that's something, again, I do not want to do. So I looked at, I looked at things, I looked at the feedback we were getting, and I determined this, that we're going to, over these next three weeks, we're going to operate week to week. We will have our Tuesday show, um, if that's all we get. Then we make sure we get the box office beat in. We leave anything else, entertainment, unless it's something huge, off the show. That means we cut entertainment for a little while. But then again, we've been so entertainment-focused um, in February that with the Oscars and stuff, that I don't think that's really too much of an issue for many. Um, but you know what? We just get the box office beat in. We, go with, we do what we've been doing over the course of the last f- five years, which is we do abbreviated versions. Um, and then we focus in on the sports part of things, like college basketball, which will be a, which is the whole month, really, of March, you know. That's the focal point. 
you know, between this week, our last Bubble Watch segment, and next week, um, you know, we'll be doing bracketology. We'll be looking at the brackets, and then after that, we just start discussing the games in, 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 in large measure, and that takes up a lot of time. So we have to allow enough time for college basketball. That's important for this month. That's the key. And to do that, we got to cut some things back. That means we can't do anything else entertainment-wise outside of the box office beat. And then when we do the box office beat, it has to be very short and it has to be quick. Um, now, for those who are like, oh, wait a minute, that means you're not going to do TV picks of the week? Well, you know what? We're heading into a month where there's not a whole lot going on on TV anyway because, you know, a lot of shows get, go on hiatus for the NCAA tournament and all. So, this is not necessarily the worst time to not have TV picks of the week, okay? And as for film picks of the week, well, this gives me enough this gives me enough time to catch up on some movies so that by the time we bring that segment back next month, we will be able to I'll be able to review more than just a few movies. I haven't seen a whole lot until until recently. So, um, that'll give me a little bit of time to catch up on some movies and, and be able to review those. So, not the worst thing in the world there. And like I said, if there's any big entertainment news that we have to discuss, we will make sure that we get to it. Even if we have to go longer than normal, we will get to it. So don't think we're going to, you know, slack off on that. Um, so really, this is not the worst time in the world to kind of cut back on entertainment, especially since we were so focused on it over the last six weeks or so. Now, tonight's gonna, the problem we have with tonight is we want to do a whole lot with Bubble Watch, and we are. Um... But we also have an NCAA story with the Syracuse sanctions that we want to be able to devote a lot of time to. So you're going to get a lot of that tonight, too. So tonight, you're going to get our last Bubble Watch segment. We'll talk about what's been going on in college basketball over the course of the last week, the last week of the regular season, sum it all up. We'll talk about any ongoing conference tournament games that are going on tonight. There are a few. We'll run through those tonight. Obviously, we'll talk about those teams that have already made the tournament, if any of those are potential sweepers or Cinderella's, because obviously the only ones playing right now so far are mid-majors. Um, we'll talk about those. We'll talk about number one seeds. You know, this is kind of like our transitional college basketball show. You know, we're transitioning from regular season to conference tournament, previewing NCAA tournament selections. You know, that's kind of what we're doing, um, you know, right now. So that's kind of what this show is. So that's going to be the bulk of our show today. Thankfully, there's nothing – to cover an NBA or MLB that we have to cover. So, you know, I put that in the show description. So, But, but I always do that because if something comes up, I, it allows us to discuss it and tells you that we would discuss it. So you, no NBA tonight, no MLB. Um, so our sports focus is very much just college basketball tonight, bubble watch, number one seeds, teams that have already made it. We'll talk about any ongoing conference tournament games tonight. Um you know, we'll we'll go over the bubble teams, tell you who we think is going to make it, who we don't think will make it, who we think should and who won't. And, again, we'll do the Syracuse story tonight as well. So huge college basketball show tonight. That's going to be where our major focus is. We'll do a brief box office beat at the top of the show, get that over with and get right into the college basketball stuff. If we have any time at the end of the show, um, I know a number of you wrestling fans were pushing and pushing and pushing you wanted us to talk about the so-called meeting yesterday that apparently, that apparently happened before Raw. If we have time, we'll do a little bit with that. If we don't, we can't. Sorry. That's the way we're going to have to play it over these next few weeks here. As for what as for what happens next week, I don't know. We'll have at least next Tuesday. 
Um, I don't know if we'll do a second show next week. We, do, we will not be doing a second show this week. This confer, that's confirmed, no doubt about it. Next week, we'll see. I'd like to do a second show that's just devoted to talking about NCAA tournament games. We might do something like that, which would help us so that we don't have to, you know, recap as many games every Tuesday. Maybe we'll do something like that. I don't know. We'll discuss it off the air and figure it out. But for this week, for all intents and purposes this week, one show here tonight, and then our next show will be obviously next Tuesday. So we'll figure things out as we go. Again, it'll be a week-to-week basis. If we decide to do a second show, what that second show will entail, we'll tell you as we go along here over these next three weeks. Um, all right, so without further ado, let me bring my co-host on here. I can bring him on. Hmm. Mike, you are in the spotlight. Okay. Well, I'm late. I've had issues with TalkShoe, and I'm making the worst mistake of my of my day, I suppose. I am reading Deadspin. Why do you uh, keep doing this to yourself? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know. You know, you know what Deadspin is, and this is, and this is an honest, honest opinion, and I'm, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there now. Um, I'm probably going to get censored for this statement, probably. so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. Deadspin to sports journalism is that stinky shit that you take. Um, where you feel it coming, and then it's just like this little turd. It's like this <laughs> thing that bothers you, and it ends up just being a, a little turd. So Deadspin is the turd. Deadspin is just a, a sports journalism turd. Here's the deal. If you read some of the Gawker sites, you should know what you get into. Right. Like, certain sites like Kotaku is... Fairly good for game journalism. Now, games journalism is pretty crappy in general anyway. Half of it is paid for by game companies. The other half is whining and complaining about how women are portrayed in games, both positive and negative. There's this whole Gamergate thing. I'm not even sure what that is. I don't want to know. It's just a whole load of crap. Kotaku's not bad. Deadspin's Tiny turd, bothersome, but that's all it is. Uh, you know, Gawker itself. I don't know. There, there are better sites than Gawker. <sighs> Lifehacker is pretty good, though. Lifehacker is pretty good. Cause you get you get some solid articles on Lifehacker, but but in general, Gawker is a mixed bag, big mixed bag, and Deadspin. Deadspin's the, Deadspin's the shitty one. I'm sorry for swearing twice. I will go back to your regu- regularly scheduled swear word. Today's swear word is ass. So oh, we're going to go back to using the word ass now. Ass, 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 ass. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I would oh. I would compare I would compare Deadspin's journalism to the word to to ass. However, I do not want to insult ass. Just saying. Well, um, 
Mike, you're in rare form tonight. And while you're in rare form, our our technical uh, go-to guy over here is uh, in a really good mood. He's very happy that his Colts have finally found a running back after almost a decade of ineptitude at that position. Well, okay, I shouldn't say a decade because they – okay, okay, basically ineptitude since they let Edger and James go, but – um, but they now have a running back in Frank Gore, and he's a very happy camper. Everybody say hi to Jeff Tech. Before I introduce it, uh, um, did they get Adrian Peterson or no? Who, Colts? Yeah. No, they, they signed Frank Gore. Frank Adrian Gore. Peterson's okay. rumored for the Cowboys. There was a rumor going around about Adrian Peterson to the Cowboys. That rumor was going right. well. Well, I, I have I have strong opinions on anybody who signs Adrian Peterson. In that, why the hell would you sign Adrian Peterson? But I, I digress. Jeff Tech, of course, is our technical guru. He is the technical guru. I would, in fact, compare to ass, as in he is an ass in terms of being a technical guru in the history of this show. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! He he he's not that spent. Jeff Tech is actually better than Deadspin. Believe it or not, believe it or not, we remember his uh, his heat malfunctions on the air. I got enough to know Dwayne Wade. <laughs> remember that? That was fantastic. Remember that? Believe it or not, that's better. That Jeff, believe it or not, that is better sports journalism than the entirety of Deadspin. <laughs> So take that as you will. <laughs> okay. Um, and and one, one more thing about that, that crap fast note at Deadspin. They occasionally get a good story. They occasionally do. But as they say, even a broken cro- clock is right <laughs> twice a day, and it still stinks like crap. Well, if you learned anything so far, folks, it's that we do not endorse Deadspin. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, as I said, we got a jam-packed show. Um, Mike lo- Mike loves March because even though we do have longer Tuesday shows, we he gets Thursday off, so he's always um, <laughs> into that. But like I said, we'll see what happens week to week, but this week we're only doing one show. So, um, All right, so we're going to start off with a, a abbreviated box office beat. And really, this this – this weekend's box office uh, did, did me a favor in terms of like you know not having a lot to talk about. We knew we okay we knew we knew it was going to be a lull. Okay, I told you all that it was going to be the reverse of January and February. The first week was going to be the the month where it kind of drops and then it's going to build itself up throughout the month. It was not supposed to be this bad. Okay, we were thinking that. We'd have one twenty million dollar movie, or one at least a movie close to twenty million, and we thought it'd be Chappie. Well, that didn't happen. Chappie only made thirteen million, thirteen three to be exact. That's a disappointment. Um, you know, it's only a forty nine million dollar budget. It's not all not all is lost there. It could end up making a profit. We'll see what happens. Clearly, that means domestically it didn't get over very well. Um, so if, if, if it does, if it, you know. Really, I think it, it's only hope right now is the international market, because um, it's not going to get—it's not going to do particularly well over here this weekend. It's, it's made thirteen seven 
overseas. So it's up to 28.1 million. So it's it's probably going to end up breaking even at least in overall um around there, which is a disappointment for Neil Bronkamp. Um Elysium was it did okay, um but before that, it was District 9 surprise. I don't know, some people feel like this was a lazy effort. It might have been. It didn't get the best critical um scores. A lot of the enthusiasm for this movie waned in the weeks before. So I, I guess you could see that this was ca- kind of coming. I just did not expect it to be to make this low of a total in its opening weekend. I didn't. Um, but then again, with the box office doing as well as it has for the first two months, even when it had those bad last weeks of the month in January and February, it was never this bad. It was usually like number one movie got $20 million. So, I mean, you kind of had a feeling eventually you're going to have a week where there was a lot of underperforming, and here it was. So, um, and really, if you look at, you know, I guess if you look at the top ten, it's not horrible. I mean, you had all ten movies around five, at the very least, above or around five million within shouting distance of five million. That's not bad for the first week of March. So while it doesn't look impressive to have your number one movie only make $13 million, you know, there's a good a, – a lot of the holdovers really help to keep balance, keep some balance there and balance things out. Um, and that's a good thing. That helps. Um, the thing I remember something – the thing I remember, too, is both these new releases, Chappie and Unfinished Business, Un, Unfinished Business was a complete flop. Get to that in a second. Complete flop. That's a complete flop. And that one surprises me because while we did have comedies like the, we had we had the Wedding Ringer in January that was only already a comedy this year, you thought that people would. It's not that often you get something a comedy like that at this particular point, and I thought there would be more of an audience for it. But I mean that's this that's very worrisome for Vince Vaughn as far as him being able to draw. That's very worrisome at this point when there's very there's no comedy competition since The Wedding Ringer, and that's a month ago, and your movie does that. That's you, you got to be able to at least break $10 million with that. I'll rate it or not, and it, that didn't happen. But both Unfinished Business and Chappie were R-rated movies. Obviously, that limits them, so there's always the risk of them underperforming. And that happened. Now, one of them underperformed to the point of a complete flop. The other one vastly underperformed, and if it can make any kind of profit, I think they'll be happy, but, you know, Chappie, is, it's not a complete loss yet, but it could be, but Unfinished Business is a complete loss loss at this point. Um, the, the, as for the other new release this weekend, which wasn't a major release, it was kind of like, I like to call it a semi-major release, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel it came in right where you thought it would, seven, eight, nine million, eight point five to be exact. So, you know, right around what you think. Um, and then some of the holdovers focused it exactly as you would expect. So the Kingsman, um, SpongeBob movie, McFarlane USA, all right around what you thought. American Sniper did a little worse than I'd expect, but then again how given how it's done over the course of the last two and a half months, I mean, at some point it was gonna underperform and it underperformed two and a half months into its run. So that's not, that's, you know, I, you can't get wrapped up in that. Um, and Fifty Shades of Grey did a little, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was right around what people thought, five, five and a half million or so. So you know what? Most of the box office did exactly, as far as the holdovers, did exactly as you thought what American Sniper was, um, a little less than people would have thought. And, uh, 
the biggest surprises, obviously, were the, were the new releases. Chappie, the biggest releases. Chappie and Unfinished Business, the biggest new releases, underperformed. Just for Unfinished Business. Um, that was really the major story. Really, the holdovers all did exactly what they were supposed to do. And because they did that, it held the box office up and kept it from being a, a, a weekend of, of, of terrible numbers. So what that tells you is there was more interest in going to see what was already out for a few weeks than there was in the new movies. Simple as that. How did I do on my predictions? Well, I actually did pretty well. And, and, and I'll tell you why I did well. Because this wasn't exactly a hard weekend to predict, okay? While most people got the new movies wrong, maybe except for the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, um, the holdovers were easy to predict. They reminded me a lot of, like, late summer or the month of January when you have, you know, in late summer you have all the summer movies. People are still going out and seeing them, catching up on them. January, people are going to catch up on some of the holiday movies they haven't gotten to. You know, a lot of these uh, movies are bunched up together. It's easier to kind of predict a lot of those holdover movies um, than it is sometimes new releases, and that's usually when I do better, and that's probably why I did better this week because it was kind of a similar trend pattern this week. So, all right, so here's how I did my predictions. I picked in, uh, Chappie, I predicted in first for 20 million. Obviously, that didn't happen. It came in first for 13.3. That one got, came in wrong. I had Unfinished Business in second with 15 million. Obviously, that didn't happen. Unfinished Business finished in tenth with 4.7, so way off on that one. And third, I had Focus for 10 million. Focus actually came in second, dropping from first with a little over 10 million, so I get that one right. In fourth, I had Kingsman the Secret Service, 8 million. Kingsman the Secret Service dropped from second to fourth with 8.3 million, so I, I get that one right. Uh, in fifth, I had the second best exotic Marigold Hotel with 7 million. The second best exotic Marigold Hotel actually came in third with 8.5, so it was a little off on that one. Um, so actually, a little better than I expected, which can not that shocking. Uh, in sixth, I had the SpongeBob movie, six and a half million. The SpongeBob movie came in fifth, dropping from third with 6.6 million, so I get that one right. Uh, I had McFarlane USA in seventh with five and a half million. McFarlane USA actually did come in seventh, dropping from sixth with 5.2 million. I get that one right, as I was within 500,000. And in eighth, I, again, I always feel the need to specify this because I get questions all the time. I had two movies in eighth. With five million, fifty states of great American sniper. That does not mean I thought they were going to tie. I just thought they were both going to be within five million, either five point five, five million exactly, or four point five, or you know, right around there. Okay, within five hundred thousand, either way, of five million, I thought both of them would be. Well, uh, I just missed on Fifty Shades of Grey. It made five point five two, and I needed it to be five point five or lower. I know that seems like apples and oranges, but right is right, and I wasn't right. I was only a smidge off on that one, so I get that one wrong. And American Sniper finished with $4.4 million in 11th place. Again, un, um, performing a little less than the estimates, so I got that one wrong as well. But I still did pretty well. One of my better weeks in a long time, actually. One, two, I get four right out of nine, which is a lot better than my usual percentage of maybe one or none. So, So I did pretty well on these here. And, again, let me run through the numbers really quickly before I throw the mic um, so you all know the numbers because sometimes I know that gets lost when I'm just going over predictions. Again, debuting in first was Chappie with a disappointing $13.3 million. Uh, dropping from first to second, last week's box office champ Focus with a little over $10 million, a 46.4% drop, which isn't horrible, um, but, and, but is yet expected to. 
uh, debuting in third, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, $8.5 million. Dropping from second to fourth, Kingsman, The Secret Service, $8.3 million, a 30% drop-off, continuing to hold well, that movie is. Dropping from third to fifth, SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, $6.6 million, a 38.4% drop-off, again, another good hold for that movie. Dropping from fourth to sixth was Fifty Shades of Grey, $5.5 million, a 47.7% drop-off, which isn't horrible at all. Dropping from sixth to seventh, McFarlane USA, $5.2 million, 33.3% drop-off, which isn't bad at all either. Dropping from fifth to eighth was the Lazarus, Lazarus effect, a little over $5 million, a 50% drop-off. I didn't make a prediction for that movie. I probably should have. I thought it would drop lower than $5 million, but it didn't, so I guess that's a win in a way for the Lazarus effect, even though a 50% drop-off is not great, but the fact it stayed at $5 million or above was pretty good for it, so there's a positive there. Um... Dropping from 8th to ninth was The Duff with 4.730.3% drop. I didn't make a prediction for that movie either. I didn't think it would be close enough to $5 million, but it was, so good for them. That was a good hold, 30.3%. That was a good hold over number for them. And again, debuting in 10th, um, totally flopping, unfinished business, $4.7 million. Just a total flop, that movie. And again, as I mentioned, American Sniper dropping from 7 to 11 with $4.4 million, 40.5% drop off. Which again is is um, lower than people expected, but you know, we're, we're, the further we get out away from award season, I think that kind of stuff is expected, and it, it's done better for a lot more lengthy a time than I think anybody expected it to. Especially after the Oscars, two weeks after the Oscars, it was still doing well. So, and it's still doing well. It's just that it dropped off a little more than expected. So, um. It's still, obviously, it's been a tremendous success. It's now the number one domestic movie of 2014. So, because it came out last year, so they don't have that movie has done very, very well. So they don't have any concerns there. All right, so that's that's our damn predictions. That's the numbers for last weekend's box office, the weekend of March 6th. If you want the full list of numbers, the complete information on the box office from last weekend, rankings and theater counts and all that good stuff, you can have the box office mojo. And just look under the numbers for the weekend of March 6th through the 8th, and you can find the complete numbers there. So, Mike, you have any thoughts on last weekend's box office? Vince Vaughn is not a comedy leading man anymore. It's a sad, sad reality if you're a Vince Vaughn fan. And but it is what it is. It's just the ship has sailed on that. And, and to be fair, nobody looked like they cared about what is this? Um, Unfinished business. I don't even remember the name of the movie. Uh, this one with Dave Franco and Tom Wilkinson. What was the name of this movie again? Unfinished business. This movie got its like name changed. Um, I think before its final trailer came out, I thought it was called something totally different. Unfinished Business is a terrible name for this movie. When you think Unfinished Business, you don't think Vince Vaughn comedy. You think Jason Statham ass-kicking kind of movie. Jason Statham is running around being the ever-loving crap out of people. Unfinished Business. Right? Mm-hmm. Or unfinished business. Liam Neeson is mad again. People have wronged him, so Liam Neeson is going to do what Liam Neeson does now. 
he's going to take his, he's going to take an arsenal and blow people up. Unfinished business. When I'm thinking unfinished business, I'm thinking I'm not thinking. Vince Vaughn goes to foreign country with hijinks and antics to try to save his business. Unfinished business. See, it just it it doesn't work. No. It just doesn't work. Unfinished business, Liam Neeson, Jason Statham. Uh give me another action actor, I guess. The Rock. Um, the yeah. Rock. Yeah, the rod goes around beating the piss out of people just because unfinished business. <laughs> or how about this one for our wrestling fans? The Rock has been wronged by John Cena and the evil organization, and now The Rock must tear through dozens upon dozens of books before he can get to John Cena. And finish their unfinished business. See that 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 movie just made fifty million dollars right now. <laughs> just saying, not not Vince Vaughn. Other than that, I don't care. No, I, I had no interest in Chappie. I didn't know they were making another Mary Gold movie. Um, who cares? Fair enough. I don't. Uh, that's it. That's it. I don't care. Now we flip the script to what will be a better weekend. Now, how much better, we don't know. Here's the thing, though. This is going to be a flip-flop of what you got last weekend. Last weekend, the box office got saved by the holdovers, like Kingsman and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, even American Sniper, despite being under five minutes. You know, all strong holdover numbers for a lot of these movies. And having so many movies around or above five million helped to balance out the fact that you only had the number one movie at 13 million. This weekend, that script's going to flip because a lot of these holdovers, you notice a lot of them are right on the fringe of $5 million. Unfinished Business clearly will not be in our predictions. It's already under $5 million in its debut, so you know it's going to be below that this weekend. Um, American Sniper's below $5 million already. McFarlane USA was right at the $5 million marker, as was Fifty Shades of Grey. So if these movies are all going to drop under. They might be able to squeeze two five million. I don't feel comfortable enough in it, so in them to to say that. So you will see that reflected in my predictions. Um, but you're going to see a lot of these holdovers drop below that five million mark this weekend, and it's going to only leave you probably with about I'd say seven over five million as opposed to ten. So you're probably going to drop three off that. Uh, uh, a little around or above 5 million mark, which is in bad for the second week of March. And you deal with that because your top two this weekend is probably going to be better than this weekend. You're going to probably have one movie at least over 20 million, potentially two, depending on how the other one's received. Your two major releases this weekend are Cinderella, the 2015 live-action version from Disney Buena Vista, Obviously, a fantasy film opening uh, in over 3,600 theaters, directed by Kenneth Branagh, who's directed Thor, among other things. Lily James from Downton Abbey is, is playing Cinderella. She stars in it along with Richard Madden, Kate Branchett, and Helena Bonham Carter. Also, Haley Atwell is in the movie. Um, obviously, Disney has had a nice run of live action success with, with, with 
uh, with their fairy tales and their stories. You know, you've seen Alice in Wonderland, the success it had. It came out in March of, of, of that particular of, of the year it was released. Um, you know, you've seen them have success, Maleficent last year. Now, all intents and purposes, uh, for all intents and purposes, this does not look like a Maleficent, okay? This is not going to be one of those things where they kind of, you know, take the story and put their own spin on it. This, all the reviews, and I'm not trying to spoil you on anything. I think this is pretty, I, I, didn't, I think most people would assume this anyway. All the reviews have indicated that this is straight up Cinderella. This is what you saw in the animated movie, what you think it should be is what it's going to be. So if you're worried about whether they're going to do a poor Maleficent here and change the plot or something or change things around, I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm just saying if you have that worry, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, but then again, some people like that kind of, that kind of uh, twisting a story. So if they don't get that, they might not be so keen to see this, unless they're somebody just likes Disney fairy tales and the diehard Disney fan. So this will obviously get over well with young girls, um, even older audiences. It's going to get seen, and it's probably going to do at the very least okay. I'm skeptical of of it doing really good. Let me tell you why. It doesn't have what Alice in Wonderland had. Okay, it doesn't have that ability. You know, it didn't have. You know, it doesn't have Johnny Depp. And it doesn't have that dimension that could pull in male audiences and more, and, and maybe even more of the younger teenage, college age crowd. It doesn't have that. Okay, it's pulling in young girls and their mothers. It's pulling in women, obviously, and it's pulling in older audiences in general. And that's what's pulling in. And that doesn't always lead to huge numbers. And it, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maleficent pulled in those same demographics and did humongous business. But then again, that also came out in summer. This is not coming out in summer, okay? This is coming out in March. And, yeah, there could be some colleges on spring break. We're heading into that period right now. But I don't think this is going to be a movie that spring breakers rush to see. So that that doesn't seem like it would help. But I still expect this. This ain't going to perform like Chappie. First of all, it's not R-rated. Second of all, it's got the Disney name behind it. Okay? So it's probably going to break the $20 million barrier at least. Probably higher. I don't think it will be very high. I can, I'm can. i thinking $25, 30000000 seems about right. And internationally, it's going to do fantastic, especially given the cast. So the other big release, this weekend is Run All Night, an action film from Warner Brothers opening in over 3,150 theaters. From a pretty good amount of a pretty good theater count for an R-rated movie. Then again, they've been given R-rated movies larger theater counts, um, especially ones that feature uh, uh, huge draws in the cast. Um, this one does. Liam Neeson, uh, Joe Kinnaman, Ed Harris, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Obviously, Liam Neeson. Huge draw, especially in action films. And here you go again, Liam Neeson in an R-rated action film. And <laughs> we just had Taken 3 a month and a half ago. Um, that would be my concern. Um, having this movie, Liam Neeson action movies are usually a little more spread out than this. And yet we had Taken 3 in January and now we're in all night in the second week of March. 
Now, if you want to go a little further, even though this wasn't quite so much an actual, it was more suspense, you had a walk among the tombstones in September. So you've had three Liam Neeson movies in less than a year. There's nothing wrong with that. Liam Neeson's amazing, and his movies are usually really good. It's just, you know, you could worry about oversaturation of Liam Neeson here, uh, especially oversaturation of Liam Neeson movie, action movies because they're so close together. That would be my concern. The other thing I'd be concerned about is this. While this has been promoted okay, it has not been promoted ex- as much as obviously like Taken has or some of its other action vehicles, you know, in the past. It has not been. And I think that more, I think that judging by the reactions I've seen, there's not as much of an anticipation for this particular movie as some of his previous action efforts. Walk Among the Tombstones, I'm not putting in here because, again, it was based on a book. It was more suspense. So I'm not going with that, but I'm talking about his more straight-up action movies. They usually have a more of an, at least in the recent years, have had more of an anticipation. This one doesn't seem to have as much. So I do not think this is going to be a huge uh, movie for him, especially his first weekend. It might be one of those movies that holds up well over the course of a few weeks, but it's not going to have a huge opening for sure, I don't think. Um, I'm I'm thinking maybe it could be anywhere as low as twelve, thirteen million to anywhere as high as twenty. It could be a very long, broad range. It could be anywhere in that range, but I can't see it going any lower, any higher than that personally. So those are your only two major releases this weekend. There's no other releases of note, no limited releases. We haven't started any awards buzz movies yet or anything. So. That's the only two new releases that you have um, this weekend. So before I make my predictions, I want to throw to Mike and get his thoughts. Mike? Have we lost Mike? No, you didn't. I have, I'm having phone malfunctions, you ass. Oh, well, how am I supposed to? I'm not psychic. Uh, no, but you have the worst timing. Uh, okay. Real quick, Liam Neeson, Ed Harris, in a feud, unfinished business. Boom. $20 million. Go see that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, as for the other, as for Disney's big release, come for Frozen Fever, stay for Disney's half-baked version of Cinderella. I don't know. After Maleficent, they really need to restore my faith in their live-action properties. Well, Maleficent wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't Maleficent. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Maybe Cinderella will be good. Maybe the live-action dancing and singing mice will be okay. Maybe. I didn't see Into the Woods. I didn't care about Into the Woods. I didn't even know what it was about. All I know is James Corbin was in it, and that was good. But, but, But in all seriousness, go for Frozen Fever. I guess stay for the live-action thingy. You know, isn't that isn't that what most people are doing anyway? 
You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because I had forgotten that they had the Frozen short with that movie. Yeah, it's it's quite literally the only reason to go right now. And you know what? If but you, but you want to know something though? Is that I don't I don't know if that's going to be enough to pull. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna raise my prediction. Not based on a short. I'm not gonna do that. I might end up regretting that decision, but I'm not gonna. In fact, that 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 frozen short might be the reason it even gets to thirty million. So, um, all right. Okay, here we go. Without further ado, predictions for the weekend of March thirteenth. Yes, folks. Yeah, another Friday thirteenth. That's no February March thing. If it's in February, it usually it's in March. That's the way the calendar works. Um, without a leap year in there. I mean, you know, that's how it works. All right, my predicted number one: Crewy Cinderella. I'm going with 30 million. It could be higher. Let me just say this: if if it, I, I, I'm not going to rule out the fact that it could be much higher, especially now that I remember that they had the Frozen movie, the Frozen sort before. I don't feel confident enough that a short is going to be enough for people to pay the money to go see a movie that they don't want to see. Although Stranger Things, we have people pay the money to go see a movie just to see a trailer, so I shouldn't be questioning that, I guess, but. I just don't feel comfortable enough to, to raise my prediction just based on the fact it's got a frozen short. But it could be lower than this. I don't expect it to be much lower than this. I do think 25 to $30 million seems like a good bet. I'm going to go on the high end because it's Disney and say $30 million. But it could be higher. It could be much higher. But I don't feel, again, I don't feel confident that it will be. I think $30 million or so is seems about right. In second, I'm going with Run All Night, $16 million. That's probably the high end of what most people are going to go. Um, even though some some people have predicted maybe eighteen twenty million, I haven't seen too many of those kind of predictions. I've seen mostly twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I'm going. I guess I'm not going really high end. I'm going in the middle with sixteen, but I could see it getting as high as twenty or as low as twelve. That's generally the range that everybody's going with. So it's kind of the highs and lows of the and extremes of what this movie can do. It's going to be a broad range for this movie to fall into. That's for sure. Um, all right. In third, I'm going with Chappie. Ten million. That seems about right based on it debuted at thirteen million. You'd think it would. Ho- you'd like to think it hold up okay enough to stay around ten. So I'm going to go with that. And fourth, I'm going to go with fo- Focus at seven million, which seems about right. Fifth, Kingsman: The Secret Service, six million. Um, and sixth, I'm going to go with the second best exotic marigold hotel, five and a half million. And seventh, the SpongeBob movie, five million. I think everything else will be um, under five million, well enough to not. You know, not make a prediction for anything else. Although I will say this: Fifty Shades of Grey could come in somewhere between four and a half and five million, which would round up to five million. But I I don't feel confident enough to make that prediction, so I'm not going to do that. Um, I got burned on that last week. I said it'd be at at um, I think it was a five and a half million exactly, and it didn't. So um, so I'm just going to leave it at that. And again, and one thing to keep in mind is. Chappie could easily do much lower than 10. I'm just thinking it won't. Um, and Focus, Kingsman, Second Best Exotic, Mary Go Hotel, and SpongeBob should all be very close, and any one of them could be above the other, reverse order, you know. It should be very close like it was for the holdovers last week, so keep all that in mind. So those are your predictions. Once more, I'll review them. Weekend of March 13th, Cinderella, number one, 30 million. Run All Night, number two, 16 million. Champion, third, 10 million, fourth, Focus, 7 million, fifth, Kingsman, The Secret Service. 
$6 million, the second best exotic Marigold Hotel in six with $5.5 million, and seven SpongeBob movie, $5 million. Your predictions for this weekend, the weekend of March 13th, the second weekend of March, um, and what should be an improved box office weekend overall, probably, especially at the top. Next weekend should bring... At least at as far as the number one movie, it should bring a much bigger release, um, something that could potentially hit the $50 million mark, and that is the Divergent Series Insurgent. That movie will be the big release next week, along with two other releases called Do You Believe and The Gunman. So three major releases next week. And we're back to three major releases after a couple of weeks hiatus from that. That's been the trend this year, three major releases. But obviously the biggest release will be the Divergent Series Insurgent, um, we'll talk about those movies uh, next week. All right, so box office beat done. Again, as I mentioned at the in the opening, sports-wise, we don't have anything else to cover but college basketball. There's nothing really pressing in the NBA or MLB that we have to discuss right this second. Um, and even though there's been some movement in the NFL with players, trades like Frank Gore, et cetera, we're not going to talk about that tonight. Nothing is just itching to be discussed, and none of you have indicated that you want us to discuss anything, so we'll just move on and focus on what you, uh, uh, the majority of you um, want us to discuss, what we think we should discuss, which is college basketball, and we kind of, I mean, it's March now, we kind of have to, and, you know, tonight we'll be, even though I know we haven't chronicled as much of the bubble as we've wanted to in recent weeks, although, I, I, again, I've said this before, I don't think it's been the best year for bubble teams. I say this every year. I feel like the last couple of years we've said this a lot. It's getting harder and harder to discuss the the bubble because it's 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 it, it, especially this year. This year has got to be one of the most difficult years, and not just on the show, but just just talking to people off the air about the bubble teams this year has been a chore because when we talk about it, you you it's it's just you either think the team is. You think the bubble is so soft that the team you're talking about is either firmly in and you don't even know why you're talking about them, or they're firmly out and you don't know why you're talking about them. There's like a very small pool of teams, and I, and I think at this point it might even be lower than 10. I think it's like maybe six or seven that are legitimate bubble teams. And that's, I can't remember the last time that's happened. I remember we'd go to, even to the last week and maybe still have 13, 14, 15 teams, but, we'd ha- but you could discuss them. Like you could say, oh, this team, this team, this team. You know, you could, have, you, you could actually discuss them and make a case for them or make a case against them. This year, it's very hard. Like the schedules, some of these teams played some awful schedules or they played really good schedules and didn't do, get, do anything with it. You know, some of these teams have the weirdest. Like we, some of these teams have great overall records, even great conference records, but they played nobody, and their only losses came to good teams, and that's not going to help because they didn't beat any of those good teams. Um, and then there's teams that had really good non-conferences and really crappy conference records, and vice versa. It's a weird year, and it's so hard to like make a case for or make a case against anybody involved in the bubble this year and that's what's been so hard and when people say you know oh every week you kind of you always say on the air you wish that you could discuss it more but may, but do you really because what what else would you do with it even if you rush through 
bubble wax segments, what else would you do with it? And I say, you know what, you're right. What else could we do with it? We can't have the kind of discussions that we'd like to have with it because this year just doesn't lend itself to that. And last year really didn't either, but this year much more so. And that's, that, that's, that's a lot. So tonight we will present our last bubble watch of the season, for better or worse. Um, and we will talk about number one seeds, with, you know, and some of the team will we'll mention the auto bids that have already made it, and we'll talk about if any of those are potential sweepers or Cinderella's. And, you know, and we'll go back over what happened this past week in college basketball, and that will be our college basketball. And then, of course, I got, we got to talk about Syracuse, and we will. Um, and that's going to, that's our sports stuff for tonight. And that's going to take us pretty much the rest of the show. Unless, and again, if we have a little time, we'll do the wrestling, but I don't know. So let me, let's start off first with what happened over this last week since we last been on the air and talked about college basketball. This was the past, this past week, the last week of the regular season. Plus a lot of the smaller conferences, the mid-major conferences started their tournaments and, um, some of them even ended their tournaments already. And it was an interesting week. Obviously, a lot of the, a lot of attention got taken away by what was going on with Syracuse. But, um, so, you know, first full week of March, Kentucky got through it unscathed. Villanova continued to roll. Maryland continued to roll. Kansas barely survived the game at West Virginia. Um... Georgetown had two great wins, one over Butler and one over Seton Hall, I believe. Um, Duke with a great week, went over Wake Forest, which, again, that means nothing. but And then went over North Carolina, where North Carolina just got outplayed, especially in the second half. Um, Louisville had a week of redemption. They lost Notre Dame. But they turn around and beat uh, and beat Virginia by two, and what was a great college basketball game. Um, Providence got some big wins this past week over Seton Hall, who, you know, two months ago we thought Seton Hall was for sure in. That's not going to happen. Uh, Arizona got through the week unscathed. Utah. Um, did okay this week, Wisconsin as well. So a lot of the top teams held serve this week. Um, then there was Wichita State, which shocked everybody and lost uh, in their in their conference tournament semifinal, which now all eyes <laughs> are on that tournament because if Northern Iowa, um, if Northern Iowa doesn't do <laughs> Sorry, I'm distracted by something Jeff Tech is sending me here. Um, oh, no, no, Iowa did, so don't worry about it. I forgot that that game even got played, believe it or not. So much has been going on. Um, but Northern Iowa took care of it, so there was no bid steal there. So Northern Iowa wins, but Wichita State losing was a shock, and for a little bit there, there was a lot of cons- Obviously, the bubble teams were all like, uh-oh, bid stealer, but that didn't happen. And obviously, Wichita State's going to make it, so there's no concern there. Um, I mentioned Louisville's big win on Saturday. We kind of look at redemption. Duke beat North Carolina. Villanova destroyed St. John's. Uh, Arizona destroyed Stanford, which I hope takes Stanford off the bubble. 
Um, Kansas lost to Oklahoma, which is just un- unbelievable. On a last-second tip, no less, but unbelievable. Um, and, and, you know, really, that was the week, you know, because obviously once you got past Sunday, all the, reg- the regular season games were over. Wisconsin beat Ohio State. Uh, Maryland survived Nebraska. Um, SMU beat Tulsa to win their the AAC title. Um, obviously, the focus went to this conference tournament, which many of which in the mid-majors had already started, but the, the major conferences, the power conferences, were all over on Sunday, regular season-wise. And some of them uh, obviously got in the way today. Some of the power conference tournaments got in the way today. Um, as you know, get, yeah, get on the way today. So, um, particularly the ACC. So, it wasn't a there wasn't a whole lot going on. There was some good games over the course of the, this past week. Like I said, Louisville, Virginia, Duke, Carolina, and and among others, and some big wins. And um, now we move the trans. Now we transition. Now we transition to the conference tournaments. There's already been some tremendous games uh, in these conference tournaments, these mid-major. This this is the part of the week I like. Now, look, I'm I, you know, now that we don't have the old Big East, okay? For me, conference tournament week has lost a lot. It, you know, it used to be the first part of the week for me was the smaller conferences, the mid-majors, and that's a lot of fun. And that's still the part of it that I like. And then it was the Big East and Friday night at the Garden and Saturday night for the championship game, and that's what it was. Now we don't have that. I mean, yeah, the Big East is still there, but it's not the same, obviously. And these other conference tournaments, these power conference tournaments, don't carry – that same vibe, you know, the ACC, I mean, it's just the environment, you know, you, you, you lose that. The, big, the old Big East in the garden was it for the, the conference tournament weekend. It, that that kind of got you, that kind of t- uh, bookended conference tournament week beautifully. You know, beginning of the week, smaller conferences. End of the week, the Big East. And it was the leader in those power conference tournaments, and now you don't have that. So really, for me, a lot of the enthusiasm and a lot of the excitement gets lost after really Wednesday when a lot of these um, mid-major conference tournaments are over. And I like the mid-major conference tournament because it's one and done. You know, somebody, this is the only way somebody, most of these teams get in. You know, unless the Missouri Valley and, you know, Wichita State and Iowa, but that's the only way some of these teams get in. The majority of them get in. The only way, and that and these games are well played, and they feature seniors, and it's good basketball to watch, and they're high scoring, and you know it makes a difference. It's not; it doesn't seem like a chore to watch as much as some of the power conference teams seem like a chore to watch sometimes because uh, we all know quality of play has taken a hit because of all you know the one and dones and everything. So. um you know, conference tournament week for me is, 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 is not at all what it used to be three years ago. But it is what it is. And now I still get to, I think many of you feel the same way, we still get to enjoy the mid-major conference tournaments. And many of us have been doing that over the last couple nights and will tonight as well. And, um, you know, and I'm not going to say that the end of the week is not going to bring us good games and not some drama. There will be some drama, hopefully some bubble teams you know, are heavily involved to add some drama. Um, you know, hopefully we get some good games, and hopefully it's compelling. You want it to be. 
because college basketball this year, in in large measure, has not been compelling. There's been there have been a, I can count the amount of good games on on one hand this year. That's not good. Last year at this point, I could count about fifteen, sixteen. While I do think the quality of play has been better, that, that we haven't had as many good games. And hopefully now that we're into the big time of year here, that will rectify itself. Or it's going to be really a really rough March. Because that's what March is about. Compelling storylines, compelling games, good games, drama. If we don't get that, it's forgettable. So far in conference tournament week, we've had a number of good games, some close games. We've had a couple buzzer beaters. That's a good sign. But you always get that from the early part of conference tournament week. You always get that from the mid-majors. I want to see that from the power conferences. I want to see that next week during the NCAA tournament. That's what I want to see. If I get that, like like the majority, I'm sure we'll all be very happy. So we'll see. Now in that week, we're in the conference tournament week. We're, we're getting prime. Conference tournament week for me, even though, like I said, it used to be great with the Big East at the tail end of the week and the smaller conferences, big mid-majors at the beginning of the week. Despite all that, the compelling nature of it and all that good stuff, um, it is very much a transitional week. It's very much a primer for what's to come. It's like the warm-up for the big event. And that, that of course, is the, the big dance, the NCAA tournament, which will begin next week. That's that's really what this week is. So, what's on the line this week? Well, obviously, if you're a bubble team, a lot. Obviously, if you're a team looking for a one seed, a lot. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about right now is those bubble teams. Is those number one seeds, and we're going to talk about those teams that have already made it. But before I do that, before we start that, let me throw to Mike and get see if he has any thoughts on any of the things that transpired in college basketball over this last week. Mike. Do I have thoughts? Yes. Do I want this show to be over at a reasonable hour? Even more so. Let us move on to the bubble watch segment so we can kind of, you know, steamroll. Fair enough. Okay. Um, oh, one quick note. There is no tourney 10 this week. That We finished that last week. I know I, I, that's kind of anticlimactic. I didn't say that last week was going to be the last one. But there's really no need. The regular season's over. Conference tournaments and all, I don't see a need to continue it, so there won't be any of that tonight. All right, so now, let's first get to, I want to mention quickly those teams that have already made the tournament. Um, just so that we can, you know, mention those. Uh, North Florida Ospreys out of the Atlantic Sun have made it. Uh, Coastal Carolina has made it from the Big South. And by the way, North Florida, this is their first tournament appearance. Coastal Carolina, this is their fourth, but their first, uh, and their first since last year, which I guess is weird to say that, um, to say they made it last year. I don't know why they said that. All right. 
Uh, Northeastern has made it from the Colonial. This is their eighth appearance, first since 1991. Manhattan has made it. Once again, Iona disappoints me. Good thing I didn't pick them this time. Uh, this is their eighth appearance in the big dance. And they're out of the Metro Atlantic. Northern Iowa has made it from the Missouri Valley. We all know about them. This is their first appearance since 2010, uh, but their seventh overall. I obviously remember what they did in the last appearance. They stunned, I think it was Kentucky. So, um, Belmont has made it out of the Ohio Valley. This is their seventh tournament appearance, but their first since 2013. They won in the classic game versus Murray State. And the Wofford Terriers. Beat Furman in a really good game yesterday, 67-64. They have made the tournament out of the Southern. This is their fourth tournament appearance. So those are your teams that are in. Tonight there are several other tickets on the line, including um, uh, the WCC. BYU and Gonzaga will play for the automatic bid from that conference, the West Coast Conference Championship tonight from Las Vegas. That takes place at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Also on the line tonight, Summit League Men's Championship game. That game on the way now, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, 12-9. North Dakota State winning that game with 15 minutes left in the first. Um, and right now, this went final, actually. We have another automatic bid. Actually, we have two automatic bids that have been decided in the last few minutes. Uh, Robert Morris once again makes the tournament, beating St. Francis, who was going for their first tournament appearance. So they once again will not make it. Robert Morris will be the auto bid out in the Northeast Conference. They win their game tonight, 66-63 over St. Francis. They're 19-14, and 14, so you know they're probably going to the playing game. Um, and the other automatic bid that was decided tonight from the Horizon League, Green Bay and Valparaiso played in a low-scoring affair. Valparaiso Won that game 54-44. to 44. They will make the tournament. They will be the automatic bid from the horizon uh, in a game between two teams with great records, 28-5 versus 24-8. Um, but Valparaiso, again, wins the Horizon League Championship, and they will go on to the NCAA tournament. So those are the bids that have been decided so far tonight. So add those two teams to the mix. And, again, we've got one more game uh, coming up in BYU-Gonzaga. That will decide an automatic bid. Um, tonight. So, all right. So we talked about those teams that made it. Any of them stick out to me as a potential sweeper or Cinderella? Uh, Northern Iowa is not a sweeper or Cinderella. They've, they've been ranked all year, so I'm not going to classify them as that. We all know what they can do. Obviously, Wichita State, too. The only team out of this group I think that I like as a dangerous team is Belmont. I've seen them a couple times. I uh, haven't seen Coastal Carolina or North Florida or Northeastern. The others I've seen. And Belmont, I, I think with the right matchup, could do something. They can score. So that's, that's why I picked, I think, Belmont could, you know, probably win their first game. But not, so far, none of these teams that have made it None of these teams that have made it as automatic bids strike me as a team that can make like a huge Cinderella run to like the Final Four or Elite Eight. Okay, there, there's, you know, I mean, I suppose any one of them could, with the right draw could win a game, but 
Uh, Belmont's the only team I think has a probably a fairly decent chance to win one. So, um, all right. So to the bubble teams we go first, and let's get once again, as we always do when we do this, we'll, we'll let you know the teams that are in first automatically locks no matter what happens. We'll start with the AAC. We'll go in order this t- tonight. SMU and Cincinnati are both collective locks. Um, that leaves us with uh, Temple and Tulsa. Now, for many, Temple is in. For many, they're among the last four in or among the last eight in. Um, they are 22 and nine, 13 and five in the conference with 34 RPI strength to schedule 69. So not strength to schedule. You like to be better. Better than a lot of teams on the bubble this year. Um, their schedule. They played some good teams. They've got now what they got is they got a win over Kansas, which is obviously really good. Um, and a win over Connecticut. Well, again, not a great year for Connecticut, but still. A, you know, okay, we'll count that as a good win. They beat in Cincinnati, who many people think is in the tournament. I should be connected twice, I should say. Um, so they have a couple of good wins, but they're on the fence. Now, let me throw in Tulsa, and we'll compare the two. Tulsa's 21-9, 14-4 in the conference, 47-hour pass, strength to schedule 1-3. Tulsa's been one of the most discussed teams because of their record, their conference record, their overall record is really good. But look at their schedule, and there's nothing there. They really, they, they now they have played some teams. They played Wichita State. They lost by 20. They played Oklahoma. They lost by 19. They played Temple. They beat Temple. Okay, so that's Temple's on the bubble, but all right. Uh they beat Connecticut once. Okay, that's not bad either. Other than that, there's nothing here. And that's the problem with Tulsa. They didn't win their league. The SMU beat them and they, they won the league. They're, but they're 14-4 and four in the conference. They're 21-9 and nine overall. So, Temple and Tulsa both have really strong conference records, really strong overall records. Normally, you'd look at these teams and go, no way can they be left out. But they could be. And Temple has the better wins. They really have one more better win. Beating Kansas is better than anything that Tulsa has. So, the question is, who gets in? Do they both get in? Or does one get in? And if one gets in, which one? Right now, I think Temple is in. Right now, I think Tulsa is out. And I said this last week, and I think I maintain it. Tulsa has to get to their conference championship game. And I think that will probably allow them to sneak in the tournament. If they lose before that, I think that gives the committee what they need to say, nope, we don't want Tulsa. 
But I think Temple will go, will be in the tournament as providing they don't lose to a team that they shouldn't lose in the conference tournament. Mike, your thoughts on Temple and Tulsa? I was all in on Tulsa last week. But then again, I thought they'd beat SMU. <laughs> they didn't beat SMU. It's time to kind of do the about face. Tulsa specifically needs to kind of beat Cincinnati in like the second round of the American tournament to kind of make their argument. Um, Temple needs to do damage in their tournament too, even if they do. I think the only way either of these teams get in at this point is if they, they have to win their tournament. I mean, Tulsa's got a shot. Tulsa's got the record. Tulsa just doesn't have the strength to schedule. If, they, if Tulsa gets to the finals, I think they might be in. I think Temple actually has to win the tournament. Okay. All right. So, we talked, again, Tulsa's been one of the most hotly discussed bubble teams. Um, and as a result, that means the AAC has been among those conferences mentioned very heavily in bubble discussions. One conference not mentioned very heavily in bubble discussions has been the A-10. And really, I think, bearing any unbelievable uh, um, surprises, I, I don't anticipate much change as far as who makes it out of the A-10. VCU, um, Davidson, and Dayton are all considered locks now based on how things have unfolded. That leaves you with only one team that people think you should keep an eye on, and that's Richmond. They're 19 and 12, 12 and 6, RPI 53, strength to schedule 36. Now, look, Richmond is really benefiting from a weak bubble, okay? Um, and the fact that two of their two teams that were on the bubble until last week are now considered locks, that kind of helps Richmond, too. Um, and right on the outside, I'm going to say to you right now, Richmond needs to do, start, needs to do work in their, in, in, the, in their conference tournament, no doubt about that. Um, they played some good teams. They almost beat Northern Iowa, but almost doesn't count. Um, they have beaten really nobody. Well, they beat Davidson, who's considered in the field now, and VCU, who's in the field. Um, actually beat VCU twice, which I think, as we mentioned last week, was the one reason why they're in large measure um, still on the bubble. That's been their hold. Their hold. That's been what's allowed them to stay on the bubble. Um, and, of course, the win over Davidson helps as well. Um, so they do have three good wins. But, again, they need to run through their conference tournament, um, especially since one win in the conference tournament will get them to 20 wins. Strength of schedule is very good. RPI is right there on the borderline. But they do need to win games in their tournament. They realistically, and I mean realistically, um, I don't think this is going to be a case where it's going to be enough for them to just get to their championship game and that will get them in. They have, they have to win it. Um, unless they, things play to their favor and along the way of getting to the conference championship, they play one or two ranked teams. Like let's say they play – oh, not ranked teams. Let's say they play VCU on the way to getting to the championship game. They beat VCU again. That's three wins over VCU. That's going to look good. 
And then let's say they play either Dayton or Davidson, who are considered in the field, and they beat them on the way to the tournament. So if they play, if they beat two teams that are considered in the field, because they can't be two ranked teams, only VCU is ranked in the conference. Um, if they beat two teams in the field on the way to the conference championship game, then I think they can make it before whether they win the championship or not. Um, Otherwise, I think they have to win their conference championship. I think it's as simple as that. Mike, your feelings on Richmond? It'd be easier for a lot of these teams if they just won their tournament. Although the A10 is a little bit more of a, a little bit competitive. Um, two wins in their tournament. Two wins in the tournament might be enough to kind of get them in one of those playing games, but it's it's going to be tough. Richmond's more likely to get in than Tulsa or Temple, though. I agreed. I agree with that. All right, let's go to a conference where I this is this is going to be a simple discussion because there's only one team to really look at. Unless again. All these are dependent on whether there's no bid stealers, okay, you know, um, which, you know, surprise people um, out of any respective conference. Uh, Atlanta ACC, Atlanta Coast Conference, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Louisville, Notre Dame, NC State are all locked. That leaves you at one team as of right now on the bubble. That's Miami. They've been on the bubble for about a month now. Seemed unfathomable in January that they'd be on the bubble, but – 20 and 11, 10 and 8 in conference, 60 RPI strength of schedule. Hey, strength of schedule hurts. RPI is weakening by the day. Let's be honest. Miami, you know, back in January, we thought this was they were gonna they were in. You know, at the time they they beat Florida when they were at the time number eight in the country, and they won on the road at Florida. They beat Illinois, who you know might be in the field, might not be. Uh, they lost to Virginia in double overtime, so. I mean, they didn't beat them, but they put up a good showing. And for the eye test, people like to claim, you know, um, they beat Duke at Duke, which is that's their that's their win, and that's the reason why they're even still hanging around this. They beat NC State, who's in the field. They won at Syracuse, which again, Syracuse is in the field, but still considered a quality road win. Um, they won at Pitt, which again, Pitt's you know not in, but still considered a quality road win. They. Um, they have a couple of good wins, okay? They're 20 and 11, so they have 20 wins. They're 10 and 8 in conference. Um, you know, they're going to play Virginia Tech tomorrow night. They've got to win that game. Realistically speaking, many people think, based on where they are right now, they have to win two games in the ACC tournament. And if they do that, I believe they have a good chance because of the win at Duke and because of the wins at Pitt and Syracuse. I know they're not in the field, but those are tough road wins, and there's very few teams that have tough road wins on the bubble. And whether those teams are in the field or not, I think that makes a difference. Not to mention they also beat NC State, who's also in the field. So they have some good wins. I think if Miami wins two games in the ACC tournament, that could be enough to sneak them in. Again, what do you want to believe they do that? I think they'll at least beat Virginia Tech. After that, who knows? But if they do that, 
I think they will likely probably sneak in because I think some of these other teams are going to fall off. Um, but they're, they're, you know, it would really, and, and like Mike, you noted, <laughs> some of these teams would be easier to just win their conference ter- to tournament. But I'll tell you one thing, Miami has a, has a, a, a lot of potential to run through the ACC tournament and get to the title game. This is the same, t- I mean, this team uh, back in January we were speaking very highly of, and they just fell off. So it's entirely possible that they get to the conference championship game and even win the ACC tournament. It, it is possible. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. If they win two games in the ter- ACC tournament, I think they have. I, they think they have a chance at sneaking in. Mike, your thoughts? Right now, they're out. They have one win. One win. <laughs> Duke, oh yeah, Duke, great win. Blah 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 blah. blah. The 2011 10-8 RPI 60 SOS 80. It means you're out. It means you're out. You actually have to do damage in your tournament. You have to get by one of the teams that are in fact in. Good luck with that. <laughs> okay, we move on to the Big Twelve. Kansas, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, all in. Um, it's funny because I've been saying all along that Oklahoma State is in, and I still think they, it's, I still think they are. But you know what? It's becoming an issue because they're 18 and 12. They're 8 and 10 in the conference. 45 RPI strength, 19. RPI strength to schedule great. Their record, their their record is not that good. Um, they beat in Tulsa, so they're going to get in before Tulsa, just by default on that, and plus they're playing a better conference. Um, you know, they beat in Texas, which uh, I know that's, that doesn't seem like much. Baylor, Kansas, they beat in Baylor twice, they beat in Kansas. I mean, they have wins. I still think they're okay. I'm not going to talk about them that much, because I still think they're okay. I think, you know, Big 12 being widely considered the best conference, most deep conference this year, it's going to help them, and that's what's going to, you know, get them get the committee to see past their record. And again, it's only because they've lost a little bit that their record is what it is. I think that's the only reason why people don't think they're already in. I think they're in. I think, you know, look, win at least the first game in their in your conference tournament, and it's 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 set. But and I could see why people think they're vulnerable at this point. But given the way the rest of the bubble is, how you take them out when they got the wins that they have, I I can't see that. Because they got, compared to some of these other teams, they got too many good wins to take them out of the field. So I think Oklahoma State is in. But again, you know, they are are vulnerable. It's just, I don't know, I can't see enough teams doing a good enough job this week to pick them off the list, you know. Texas, of course, has been a, Along with Tulsa, probably been the most discussed bubble team, <laughs> and I don't understand why. And I, I hate that we have to keep talking about them week after week, but we do because they continue to be the team that, along with Tulsa, that everybody talk, talks about. They're 19 and 12, 8 and 10 in conference, 42 RPI, strength of schedule 11. Here's the funny part: their conference record is the same as Oklahoma State. Their overall record, they got the same amount of losses. Their RPI is better, and the strength of schedule is better than Oklahoma State. So why isn't Texas? How is Oklahoma State in and not Texas? Well, let me tell you why. Damn, Oklahoma State's beating people. Texas hasn't. 
Texas has wins over Iowa and Connecticut. Oh, you know, Iowa, you know, okay, they might be in the field. Well, Connecticut's not going to be in the field if they win their tournament. And Iowa is, is we don't even know if they'll be in the field. It's likely, but we don't know if they will. Um, they got a win over West Virginia. That's it. Oh, and a win over Baylor. That's it. But here's the thing. See, here's here is a curse that sometimes goes around, goes along with having a really good RPI and a good strength of schedule, but having a really crappy record and both conference and non-conference. So here's the thing, and I I know I've heard this before from people. Oh well, they played a good schedule. Oh, you know. But here's the thing: the better the schedule you play, which means the better the, the statistics you have RPI-wise. The more opportunity, that means that you had more opportunities. And the committee's going to look at it as this. Yeah, you went out and played people. Good for you. But you didn't beat enough of them. If you're going to play that many good teams, both conference-wise and non-conference-wise, okay, if you're going to play that many good teams, then you need to beat, a, you need to beat more of them. And you need to beat them by more than what you do if you do happen to beat them. Okay, you can't just beat them by two, because that's what they're and they're and they're good and they're big wins. They barely won those games. You're not impressing by just playing people and barely skating by. You're not, and that's why Texas is out and Oklahoma State is in. Because when Oklahoma State Oklahoma State won more games, they had a few less opportunities than Texas, but they won more games in those opportunities, and they looked better in doing so. And I hate the eye test, but it, I think it's a fair point here. Because when you look at the, okay, they won that game, and if they won by 10 or 15 points, it looked better than just skating by in those few good wins that you have by winning by two or five. That's why Oklahoma State is in, and that's why Texas is out. Like I said, for Oklahoma State, it's as simple as, you know, win one game, and it, it probably locks it up. Um, I don't think they need to, but it would help. Texas, Texas has to get to the conference championship game. And even then, I think they have to win it. Mike, go ahead. The Big 12 sucks. Oklahoma State needs to do work in the tournament. Texas has to win their tournament. End of discussion. Let's move on. (laughs) Big East. Villanova, Georgetown. Providence. Butler, St. John's, all are in. Xavier is considered a should be in with their 19 and 12, 9 and 9 conference record, 36 RPI strength to schedule 22. Um, I've seen a lot of people question why is Xavier in, and why do the Big East have so many teams? And Big East has been an underrated conference this year. It's been a really good conference. Um, here's the thing, and here's why Xavier, I think, is, is it should be in. Um, they got I know I know Murray State lost, okay, but Murray State had a great year. They count as a good win. They beat them. They beat them. Um Xavier also beat Georgetown, who's in the field. Seen Hall when they were ranked at nineteen. Um had to beat Georgetown twice. They beat Providence. They beat Butler um they have a game with Butler uh, in their first game of the Big East tournament on Thursday. 
which if they win that game, and they've already proven they can beat Butler, they will lock up a bid. But I don't think they need to win that game. First of all, they'd be playing a ranked team. If they lose, it wouldn't be as bad. If they win that game, they lock it up. If they don't win, I still think they're going to be okay. I still think they get in. I think Xavier is in right now. They've had some really good wins, and they've been in an underrated conference. But they get a chance to steal the deal on Thursday night. They beat Butler. There's no question about it. They don't even have to sweat on Sunday. If they don't, I still think they'll be okay. Mike? Beat Butler, your problems are solved. Don't beat Butler, that bubble will shrink. So they should probably win. I I think they're in. Okay. The Big Ten. What a mess. Um, Wisconsin, Maryland, Michigan State. Iowa and Ohio State are considered locked. So what I said about Iowa earlier, whether they might, whether they're in the field, um, you know, they might have been a team that many people consider not exactly in the field yet. Well, I guess they are in the field, although I still think they're vulnerable. I don't know. I wouldn't quite classify them as a lock, but, you know, whatever. Um, okay. Purdue is considered a should-be-in. Um they're 20 and 11, 12 and 6. RPI 56 strength to schedule is 72. I, I don't know how Purdue is or should be in. Uh, you know what? I guess beating Illinois helped on the weekend, so that puts them in front of Illinois because um, they did it recently, even though they lost them early in the season. They beat Indiana twice, so you can't. You have to put them above Indiana, obviously. They do have some good wins. I won't deny that. Um, BYU was in their conference championship game. NC State, who's in the field. Um, Iowa, who's, I guess, considered in the field now. Um, And Ohio State. They do have some good wins. They're going to end up being in. I don't think they should be considered or should be in. I think they should be considered a team that, at this point, is in good shape to be in. Indiana's 19-12, 9-9 in conference, 57 RPI strength of schedule, 25. Strength of schedule is really good. It's been keeping them alive for a while. Indiana was in a week ago, I thought. I really did. I I, I still think they are. They beat an SMU. Um, they beat in Butler. They beat Ohio State. They beat in Illinois once. Um, that puts them in front of Illinois by default. They beat in Maryland. See, I, I, Indiana should be a lock at this point. I know they've had a rough goal. They lost three in a row. Um, if they win their first game in the Big Ten tournament, I think it seals the deal. I don't, I don't think Indiana's in any danger. Even if they lose, I think they're not in any danger. They, they've won so many good games. Compared to so much of the bubble teams that we've been talking about, they have some really good wins. It's kind of like Oklahoma State. I think, they're the, I think Oklahoma State and Indiana are the same situation. They have so many good wins that no matter, even if they lose their first conference tournament game, I still think they should be in because of the wins they have. This bubble is so soft this year. Telling these two teams that their wins don't matter and taking a team like Tulsa is, is ridiculous. So that, that's my feeling on it. But I think Indiana should Indiana has more reason to be in than Purdue. It's just that Indiana has played worse down the stretch than Purdue. Um, but I think both are going to end up getting it. Illinois. Hi, nineteen and twelve, nine and nine conference record. RPI fifty nine, strength of schedule sixty six. Illinois seems like it's been everybody's quality win in the Big Ten this year. Um, they beat Baylor, which is a good thing, uh, and they beat Maryland, which is a good thing. That's they beat Purdue, who people think are 
I guess, is likely to be in the field. Uh, Michigan State, who's in the field. They have a game with Michigan on Thursday. They have to win that. They, I, I think Illinois has to win prob- one game. If they win one game, I think they're they're right there. They they could make it, but it's 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 very shaky. Um, if they win two, I think they get in. I think they get if they if they get to the conference championship game, I think they're in. That's simple. Purdue and Indiana, I think are I think are both gonna be Indiana should be a lock. Purdue, I think will likely be in. Mike. They're all in. I don't even care at this point. They're all in. I'm not going to muddle through this nonsense. The Big Ten had a good year. They're going to get all eight teams in. Uh, If any team is going to be left out, it's going to be Illinois. If any team. And I'm not going, well, they they beat this team, but they lost to this team. Look, Indiana itself has got some great wins, but they've got some pretty crappy losses. Let, let, let's just call that spade a spade. They've got some bad losses, which is why they're on the bubble in the first place. Hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about them. That's the thing about college basketball. You get a couple of really good wins, and then you don't drop, te- drop games to teams that shouldn't even be in your gym. When you lose games to teams that aren't on your level, that's when people start questioning how good you are, which is, point case in point, Indiana. Yeah, they got good wins, but yeah, they've got some losses. And they're not even at 20 wins. 20 is the magic number for me. When you get there, then I'll consider you. But in essence, all these teams are probably in. Right. Okay. Mountain West has one lock, San Diego State. They have two teams um, who are not in, okay? But there are teams to watch. And I'm going to classify that as teams to watch this week because they could be both potential bid stealers. Either one of these teams could win the conference ter- ter- Mountain West Conference ter- Tournament. Uh, Colorado State, 26-5, and 13-5 record. RPI, 26-3-122. Obviously, strength of schedule is awful. RPI, solid record, conference-wise and non-conference-wise, is great. Um, they don't have much of anything to offer as an at-large. They have to probably win the automatic bid. Actually, no problem about it. They have to. Um, they haven't really beaten anybody. Um except for San Diego State in their own conference. That's pretty much the only good win they have, which is why they have to win their conference tournament. Um, and they have the potential to do that, so keep an eye on them. And Boise State, 24-7, and 14-4, conference record, 41 RPI, strength of schedule, one third against bad strength of schedule, but okay RPI, great records, both conference and non-conference. Um, you know, I guess Boise State, I mean, Boise State's played more teams than Colorado State has. I mean, they played St. Mary's, they beat St. Mary's, they played NC State, they lost, but they still played them. Wisconsin, they played, which is why they're, uh, but they lost, but that's why their statistics are a little better. Um, unfortunately, uh, well, they don't, again, they don't have the wins. They beat San Diego State twice, though, so Colorado State only beat them once, so they have that going for them. But, again, they have to 
a week ago, actually more than a week ago, two weeks ago, Boise State was among the last four in by a lot of people. Now not so much. Again, you know, they need they either need a lot of help from other bubble teams, need them to basically, you know, fall off. And by that, I mean a number of them have to fall off. Or they, you know, they have to win their conference championship, conference tournament championship. Um I suppose that both these teams met in the conference championship game. They both could sneak into the tournament, but that's very unlikely. I think it's it's one or the other, and I think the only way that either one of these teams makes this is by winning their conference tournament championship, which they do have the potential to do. Mike, any thoughts? Colorado State has not beaten anybody, but they don't have bad losses. Boise State has beaten people, but their schedule sucks. Uh, so we're at a stalemate here. Uh, <laughs> Boise Boise State's more than likely to get in. They've done some work over the last like thirteen games. They won twelve of them. And I know we're not supposed to look at your recent schedules, but apparently that's going to play a factor because it usually does. Boise State's probably in. Colorado State probably needs to beat San Diego State at some point in the next week. <laughs> and if they do, if both of these teams do that, then they're probably it. Hmm. Okay. We now move on to one of Mike's, to, to really next two conferences that are among his favorites. I know this. He loves these two conferences. First of all, the Pac-12 who has locks in Arizona, Utah, and Oregon, those three teams considered locks. And then there's teams, two teams, one of which I think doesn't have to do as much work as the other. That team, of course, is UCLA, who is 19-12, and 11-7 in conference, 50 RPI, strength of schedule of 32. UCLA has had a very up-and-down season, but that's traditional for a bubble team. And they are a bubble team. Uh, they are one of those actual bubble teams this year. Um, not either firmly in or not firmly out. They beat in Stanford, which is not hard. They beat them twice, which is why they have a better case in Stanford. Um, you know, they and they beat in Oregon, who's considered in the field. That's it. Now, that's a problem. Now, they did play more teams in their non-conference, but they always do. They have got to win at least two games in their conference tournament, in my mind, just to be considered because of the way the bubble is shaping up. Um, It would be highly advisable for them to somehow get to their conference championship game. I don't see that happening, but if they got there, I think that would put them in the field. I don't think they'd have to win it. Um. Again, a lot depends on how the bubble shapes up over the next couple of days. Um, and, and even if they won those two games that I said I feel like they have to do just to be considered, again, that also depends on how the bubble shapes up. But I think that's what the very least that they have to do is win at least two games in their conference tournament just to be just to have a serious argument. Stanford, I I don't – Stanford to me is like Texas now, okay? I, I don't even – it's simple as this. They're 18 and 12, 9 and 9 conference record. At least I'm like Texas, they're – 500 in their conference, 58 RPI, strength of schedule, 53. Now, unlike Texas, who has a, a good RPI and strength of schedule, Stanford doesn't have that, okay? Now, Stanford hasn't really beaten anybody. 
they played some people. They played BYU. Now, they beat Texas. It's funny we mentioned comparing Texas and Stanford when they played each other, but they and, and they beat them. Um, but I guess you, if you want to come there for a quality win, okay, whatever. Um, they beat Washington when they were ranked, but you know I, that doesn't really matter to me. Um, that's pretty much it. Okay, they really haven't done to beat Connecticut, but a lot of people beat Connecticut this year. So, you know, just because they played a few people, they didn't beat the, win those games, and just because you know they beat Texas. Okay, I guess we put Texas in the field. We got to put Stanford. I, I, I guess maybe I don't know. That seems to be what some people are saying. I don't agree. Um, Stanford to me is in the same position as Texas. Win your conference champ tournament. If you don't win it, you're not considered. I don't care if you played people in that conference. You didn't win those games. I don't care if you beat Texas because Texas it only way into the field should be to win their conference championship. And you know. Beating teams when they were ranked and now those teams aren't ranked doesn't count either. Even if that mean, means it's a top 50 win. Okay, that, to me that doesn't matter at this point. Not given the way, so, not given the way things are shaping up. So Stanford has to win their conference championship, conference tournament championship. UCLA has to win at least two games just to be considered. That's what I think. Mike, go ahead. Pac-12 sucks. Can we move on now? Fair enough. I, I'll let you. <laughs> There's not much else to add to that. Oh, another favorite of yours, the SEC. Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia are considered locks. Ole Miss is considered in. I'll let that slide. I think they're in, too. The 20-11, and 11-7 conference, 49-hour pass range to schedule with 39. I think the way the bubble has developed um, – I mean, they beat Cincinnati, who's in the field now. Oregon, who's in the field now. Coastal Carolina, who's in the field now. They won an automatic bid. Um, that Dayton loss looks better now because Dayton's considered in the field. Um, they beat Arkansas at Arkansas, which is a tough place to play. And um, who is a fellow bubble team, but still it's a good win. It's like one of those top 50 wins. You know, I, I think they're in. I, I don't think they played a good schedule. I think I think that about most of the SEC, actually all of the SEC, but they're going to end up getting in, so there's nothing really to talk about there. LSU and A&M are the two teams to really discuss. LSU is 22-9, and 11-7 conference, 48-hour pass strength schedule, 86, terrible strength of schedule, obviously. Everything else is not bad. Again, we've talked about LSU. They're, they've been a pretty interesting bubble team to discuss, along with A&M. Both these teams have been hotly discussed. Um LSU at one point was considered one of those teams that could beat Kentucky, and I didn't understand it, but that's what was said. They have beaten West Virginia at West Virginia, which is a good win. Um, they've beaten Georgia, who's in the field. Uh, Ole Miss, who many people consider to be in the field. Um, so they have a few wins. They beat Arkansas at Arkansas, and they did that last week. They are a team that right now I think is one of those fringe teams. Like They're a last four in right now. Somehow they are, but they are. And they're one of those teams that the minute a UCLA loses, like if the UCLA loses their first Pac-12 tournament game, they get bumped up. They're, they're one of those fringe teams that needs a couple of teams to lose just to kind of ensure their spot is even a last four in. So they're a fringe team. Now, that means they're a bubble team, but I think they're right on that fringe of you wouldn't be surprised to see them in the field on Sunday. As, like if the today was Selection Sunday, you wouldn't be surprised to see them in the field. 
But if but if they're not, you wouldn't be outraged either. That's what they are. I think they are going to end. I think they end up not being in the field, despite their position right now. I because I, I think some teams are going to put on some good runs this week. So I think that's going to push them out. And you're probably going to get a bid steal or two. You might. You probably. I, I think you might get a bid steal somewhere. Probably Atlanta ten, maybe. Maybe Richmond will pull that off. I could see at least one bid steal, and if that's the case, I think they take it from the the SEC if it happens. I, that's just a feeling I get. But um, I think they're end up not going. But I think as of right now, they would probably sneak in if it was selection Sunday. A and M, Texas A and M, twenty and ten, eleven and seven conference record, fifty eight five RPI strength to schedule, eighty five. They're not in. I don't know anybody that should have them in. Um, I mean, they lost to Dayton. That's a good loss now because they're considering the field, but still. Um, they really haven't beaten anybody, played a few people, but that's not – they played Bayer, but they lost to them too. Um, they haven't beaten anybody. How the heck they're in the field, I don't know. Texas A&M, in my opinion, needs to win the, the SEC championship, and that ain't going to happen. So I don't think they get in. I don't think they deserve again. I don't even think they should be considered right now. They should be one of those teams. Their only chance is to win the conference championship. Mike? The SEC sucks. I no, <laughs> no, 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 no. One team, one team from this conference gets in, and it's Kentucky. And any other team from this conference who gets in needs to be thanking their lucky stars, unless they get the auto bid, in which case they have already thanked their lucky stars. Win the conference tournament and get in that way, or else this is a one-bid league at best. Okay. Um, all right, so um, we got Gonzaga-BYU playing tonight. I will mention this. Whoever loses that game is going to be in the field. BYU's made it, um, no matter what happens tonight. Uh, obviously, Wichita State's going to be in the field, even though they lost. Um, Old Dominion, we'll see what happens there. I don't think they're in yet, but Murray State's an interesting. Keep an eye on Murray State. Murray State reminds me a lot of. Okay, I shouldn't say they remind me record-wise of them, but they remind me a lot of VCU from a few years ago. When VCU first made the tournament, obviously made that Cinderella run. They came out of nowhere, okay, that made the tournament, despite not winning their despite not winning their conference tournament. And everybody's like, why? And then we saw what they did. And that committee was really a fan of the fact that uh, uh, the fact that VCU had won their league, but even though they didn't win their conference tournament, and Murray State won their league, they. They were unbeaten in their conference until they lost in the conference championship game. Now, here's the thing. VCU played people in their non-conference. Strength of schedule was 257 for Murray State, and RPI was 70. I don't think they're going to make it, but I will say this much. If a lot of these bubble teams flop this week, like a lot of them, okay, and there has to be a lot of them, okay, then you might see, and there's already been an outswell of support for Murray State, you, I could see it. I think it would take a big miracle. Like I said, a lot of teams losing this week. 
I could see Murray State being like VCU a few years ago. It's a, it is a huge long shot, though. So don't go saying I said that. I'm just saying keep an eye on that storyline. Outside of that, BYU and Gonzaga are both going to go. Wichita State's going to be in. You know, other than that, I don't think anything else comes out of these mid-majors unless there's bid steals. And if there are, I don't think any other any other mid-major teams make a case. So we'll just leave it at that. Really quick, the number one seeds, I'm going to make this short and sweet. Unlike a lot of the other college basketball pundits out there, I don't. I think the number one seeds are pretty much set, except for one. The fourth number one's not settled yet. Kentucky is the overall number one. No matter what happens this week, locked in. Duke should be the overall number two. No matter what happens this week, that should be locked in. Anybody that doesn't think Duke should be the second number one seed is being ridiculous based on their road wins. That, that they, that, that there's nobody else that comes close to that. Okay, So they should be the number two, number one seed. Number three, number one seed should be Villanova. Based on their wins, based on their conference, nobody else comes close. Villanova's number three as far as number one overall seed. And those three are locked. No matter what happens, those should be locked. If those three are not locked up as number one seeds by now, somebody's got screws, okay? The fourth number one is open for debate. Right now, I think Virginia should be that team. Ahem. Huh? Ahem, what did you forget to do? I'm going to throw to you. Hang on. Relax. Uh, Relax. Relax. I'm going to kick you in your nuts. Yeah. I'm going to kick you in the nuts. Oh, God. I'm going to wear boots this weekend. Right. Even though it's going to be fairly nice. I'm going to wear boots because the next time I'm going to see you, you're going to get Timberlands to the Wavos. You're going to be scared of the word timber. Okay. Fair enough. I'm I'm just saying. When you hear the anyway, word timber, that's me kicking you in the balls. Anyway, back on topic. I think Virginia right now is more than likely the number, the fourth number one. Arizona, to me, is the only other team that can make a case. Gonzaga, you know, I think they lost that chance against BYU a couple weeks ago. Wisconsin is in, can can probably steal it. I guess it depends on what happens in the Big Ten. Um, Kansas is out of that mix. Um, so to me, it comes down to really the only three teams I can see getting it are Virginia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Virginia, I think, should get it right now based on the strength of the conference they're in and, and, and what they've been able to do. Arizona would be the second, and then Wisconsin. Um, you know, and then you're basing on what they do this week. Um, and then I guess if, if they all do very well this week, then I guess you just weigh their profiles against each other and see who played the better schedule and go with that. Um, and in that case, that's probably Wisconsin. But that's the way I see it. But I think three of them are locked up, and the fourth one's the only one up for debate. Now, Mike, any other thoughts on the at-larges or the number one seats? Yes, I'm going to also punch you in the nuts too, just just so we're clear. Mm. It's going to be an attack. Okay. It's going to be like an attack. Yeah, Murray State, I think it's Ant. Uh, they're ranked. We have seen ranked teams not get in before, but they're considered by coaches and writers 
one of the 25 best teams in America right now. You lose by one in your conference final, which is an actual shot in the nuts. Not going to lie. But, look, you run the table in your league. You only Your only loss is a lucky last-second shot. 27-5, and 16-0 in conference. I have a feeling they're going to be one of the teams that they take pity on and are going to probably be in the playing, playing game. They're going to be like a 12 seed. they got to play into the tournament. And if they get it, then they get it. And if they don't, at least they were there. If they're not there, I have a feeling they're going to run through the NIT. But that, that's just how it is. BYU is probably an Old Dominion is probably not. Let's say win their tournament. Look, if you win your tournament, points moot. End of discussion. Speaking of winning the tournament, Duke gets the one seed or Virginia. Whoever wins the tournament is probably going to get the one seed. If Virginia does not win the tournament, they are not a one seed. Kentucky's a one. Villanova's a one because they've done work. Duke is more than likely a one. Duke can survive the shot because everybody's up Duke's asshole. And they got a dead spin coming down. I mean, just wanted to throw that back to that. But Virginia, if they don't win their tournament, they're not a one seed, and they shouldn't be a one seed. Wisconsin is probably the next in line if they win the Big Ten. Because the Big Ten has been a damn good conference. Unwatchable, but damn good. Um, Arizona's in a crappy conference. I I wouldn't even bother with them. Look, if you're going by strength of conference, uh, ACC, then the Big Ten. Gonzaga is not even in the damn conversation. Kansas is not in the conversation. Big 12 doesn't suck, but, God, they, they've lost a lot this year. Uh, so it's Villanova, Kentucky, probably Duke, because you do need a one. But tentatively, it's between three teams. Um. If Wisconsin and Arizona both win their league and, let's say, Duke and Virginia both don't win, then you take those ACC teams out and you put in Arizona and Wisconsin. Right. That's just how it goes. The Duke and Virginia have to win the conference. Virginia has to win the conference. Duke can probably survive if Wisconsin or Arizona does not. Arizona is like, let's do one, two. They're six. Wisconsin's probably going to get a one. If they win the Big Ten, they're they're getting a one, no questions asked. So I'm going to say it's Duke, Villanova, Kentucky, and Wisconsin. And Virginia can learn how to actually play basketball. There you go. <laughs> For what it's worth, I think that Wisconsin's going to end up being the fourth one. So, um, all right. 
So that's, we'll see how it all pans out. Obviously, on next Tuesday's show, we will go over the brackets and do all that fun stuff, as we always do. Um, now, look, um, obviously, something did overshadow the NCAA, uh, all the talk of conference tournaments and the end of the regular season last week, and that was the NCAA doing what it does best, proving itself to be incompetent. Um, again, now look, we always do a show right around the NCAA tournament, like right around the final four where we kind of discuss NCAA issues. Um, and we are going to do that this year. I'm already working on the schedule for that. Um, so we, we, we're not going to go, how go big and broad here. We're just going to give our initial reactions. Um, and we'll table the rest of it for that because I think it fits better with that because we can talk about other things related to it. Um, by now, I'm sure everybody knows what's going on at Syracuse. We all were waiting for the report. It was supposed to come out in November. It never did. Um, we talked about the postseason ban that was self-imposed. Um, and we now know there will not be an additional ban. We know the scholarship restrictions that are now going to be in play, the recruiting restrictions, the vacation of wins. Now, that number has not been confirmed, but it's been widely said there will be 108 wins vacated by Syracuse, which would drop Jim Beheim to sixth on the all-time list from second, which is where he's at now. Um, and, of course, Jim Beheim also suspended for nine ACC games. By now, I think everybody knows the punishments. I'm sure they know at least a little bit about the situation that's gone on. Let me, you know, I... It's funny because when I was thinking about what to say about this, I thought I'd have a lot to say, and I didn't. Because I think if, you know, obviously for anybody that's on the outside, you're going to think, okay, they're from they're from the area, they're from Syracuse, whatever, they're homers, they're going to defend them. That might be the case, yes, we are. But here's the thing. As with anything, I think before you make claims and before you make assertions, you have to read the information. I read, God help me, I read the 94-page report when it came out. It was tedious, but I read it. Okay? I read the report. I read analysis of the report from both local media and national media. I also watched national media coverage, including ESPN's reactions to it. And if you watched... You probably saw a whole lot of defense for Jim Beheim on national media, except for people that hate his guts, and you know that's not that's, that's it is what it is. And if you read these reports, you know, and if you read the information about this case from the start, you come out of this thinking three things: one, Syracuse self-reported all of this; they self-reported the drug policy violation; they self-reported. The, the YMCA, they self-report the academic violation. Nothing was covered up. Now, were there attempts made to cover it up by some of the people that, you know, Jim Beheim hired to take care of academics? Yes. But that leads me to something, number two, which you can take from the situation. How many of us in our jobs, our places of employment, or anything, maybe something we volunteer for, how many times do we entrust responsibilities to somebody? 
Like let's say you're a supervisor at a store or a supervisor at an office or something or a boss or a manager, et cetera. You hire people based on their credentials. You hire people to handle responsibilities, right, at that place of work. You trust them to do that. You have to trust them to do that until you're proven otherwise, right? You make a judgment call. Do they always do that? Do they always – does that always happen? Is every single hire you make 100% trustworthy and 100% dependent, 100% efficient? No. Does that mean you didn't do your job? No. You're only guilty of trust. And that's what Dick Vitale said on Saturday during the Virginia Louisville game, and I think it's a perfect way of saying this. The head coach cannot foul, and that's the third thing you take from this. Anybody that thinks a head coach needs to know every little thing that goes on with his program, is, it, it, it doesn't have any common sense at all. Because if you run an office or you run a business, do you know every single thing that happens at your office or a business? You can't possibly. You can't watch every single thing that happens. That's why you delegate. That's why you have assistant managers or assistant CEOs or whatever. That's why you have assistants to help you with that, people that you trust. And even then, they can come back to bite you. That doesn't mean you don't trust people. You have to trust people in this world. But it happens. And it does not mean the coach is incompetent and has no institutional control. I love that phrase, institutional control. Because it, it, it's, it's such a vague term. It's such a vague phrase. Because you can define it any which way you want. What's your definition of institutional control? I'm sure it varies upon each NCAA leader. To me, what's ridiculous about this is this. This is a case where the university, with a coach, with this program, reported these incidents. They did Now, again, there were some attempts by people that were hired to handle these, some of these responsibilities that are in question to cover it up. But those people were dismissed. They were fired. It's not like everybody was like, oh, we've got to keep our jobs. Everybody keep it. No, no, there was none of that. This wasn't this, – this, this, it, 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 everybody's ignoring how proactive Jim Beheim was and how proactive in a lot of ways the university was when some of this stuff came out to their attention. And before somebody says, well, wait a minute, why did it take so long to come to their attention? Well, if – you mean to tell me nothing's taken a long time to come to your attention when something's gone wrong? Sometimes you could say the same thing about anybody in a position of power and a position of authority. If you're handling, let's say you're handling a department. Like I said, let's say you're running a, a business or a store, and you find out six months after the fact that somebody's been stealing or somebody's been doing something or somebody has been handling something the way it's supposed to be handled. What does that say about you, that you didn't do your job? Should we ask you why it took you so long to notice? Don't cast stones when this can happen to anybody, no matter how diligent you are, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how responsible and how watchful you are, how vigilant you are. This kind of thing can happen to anybody in any kind of employment, in any kind of environment. So don't act like it can't, and don't act like it's so improbable that Jim Behan knew nothing of it. 
Because that, then you're being ridiculous and you're being unfair. Do I think that punishments shouldn't be levied? I never said that. Do I think some wins should be vacated? Yes. Do I think that many should be vacated? No. I think what the school put, self-imposed with 24 wins, I would up that to maybe 30 or 40 and walk away. The whole vacation of wins thing is weird to me because how do you decide how many wins to vacate? That's weird to me. I've never been on board with that. Because you can't determine whether that, that would have made a difference in that game. It's, 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 it's such a murky kind of thing. Recruiting restrictions, scholarship sanctions, fine. I'm okay with that. You want to suspend Jim Bayheim for a game, few game, nine games, six games, whatever? I don't care about that. I don't think that may. I, I think you know what? Fine, whatever. Fine university, fine. I'm not saying that that's the university didn't screw up and the program didn't screw up. It clearly did. I'm not saying there shouldn't be punishments. But throwing all this at Jim Beheim on his lap is ridiculous. When it's very clear if you read the report that he wasn't involved in the, the attempts to uh, of, to uh, be, be involved, he wasn't involved in any of the academic fraud. In fact, what you hear is that he told the athletic director, "Do it, we do 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 whatever you can." to get the player on the court within the rules, within the rules. That's the only part you hear mentioned is that. Otherwise, we know the university and the program self-reported all of this. And let me ask you this. Let me mention this, too. This has been going on since they brought this to the NCAA's attention years ago. When all this academic fraud was taking place, a lot of when a lot of this academic fraud was taking place, the school was already being watched by the NCAA and already investigated. Do you really think they take the chance of adding to that? Do you think Jim Beheim would really take the chance of adding to that? Okay, Jim Beheim, take the chance of adding to that while they're under the watch fraud of the NCAA. Do you really think he'd be that stupid if he was going to do that? Now, some other people might be because they think they could get about, get by it. But the head coach wouldn't. He's the one that's being watched. The head coach is being watched more than anybody. You think the head coach is going to go, all right, let's, you know, let's commit academic fraud while we're already under NCAA investigation. Let's do that. Get your heads out of the sand, people. The head coach is not the target here. You want to go after the athletic director and ask for his resignation and ask him to be penalized? Fine. You want to go after the president of the university? Fine. You want to go after people in the athletics department that are responsible for academics and stuff? Fine. Because some of the ones that are responsible are gone, but fine. You want to find the university? Great. You want to direct your your negativity at the players that participated in, in that and, and, were, and were privy to it? Fine. But don't go after the head coach, because the head coach is the last person you should be going after right now. And anybody that thinks that he he didn't do his job by not knowing every single thing that goes on, 
needs to look them look in the mirror and say, "Do I know everything that goes on?" If I'm if you're running a place, do you know everything that goes? Do you even know everything that goes on in your own house? Come on now. Common sense. Mike, go ahead. I'm going to keep my my stuff, uh, you know, quick because I I really like to get off at a reasonable hour. Now, to piggyback off what you said, real quick, what we're saying does not apply to Joe Paterno. Very true. And this is the this is the NCAA's reaction. It's a knee jerk reaction. Um, based on the Joe Paterno scandal. Joe Paterno was not the example. Joe Paterno was the exception to the rule. That was a head coach that knew everything that was going on at his program, at his institution. That was the head coach that when, when presented with the evidence of child sexual assault, decided to turn the other way and essentially let it continue, essentially cover it up. That was child sexual assault over a decade. And the NCAA restored that monster's wins. Let's Let's rephrase something. The let's let's not rephrase. Let's repeat something. The NCAA restored the wins of a guy who protected a pedophile. So, do I believe that the vacation of these wins is going to stick? No, because they restored Joe Paterno's wins, and what he did was criminal. And in Beheim's case, Coach Beheim did not defend child sexual assault. He did not hide it. This is academic and drug charges. Academic, which, when you look at it, this whole problem actually falls on the head of one person. And if you think that person is, is Jim Beheim, you are mistaken. That person is Daryl Gross, athletic director at Syracuse University. He was the one who went outside the lines looking for a less than legal solution to his pro to this fat mellow problem. Jim Beheim, and if you read the stupid report. And this is one of the reasons why I have this huge issue with Deadspin. Deadspin just reacted to the headline. And when Dick Vitel came out and gave his impassioned speech, they literally claimed that this is Dick Vitel sticking up to his charity buddy. Sticking up to just sticking up for his charity buddy. Which is why I was so infuriated because look. Dick Vitale supports two, among others, two major charities. 
Coaches versus Cancer and the V for V Foundation. Name a name a coach in D one NCAA that does not support either of those charities. I would like to see Deadspin come up with a coach that does not support either of those charities that has not worked with Dick Vitale on either of those charities. Name one. And the answer to that, obviously, is they can't because Deadspin does not know their ass from a hole in the ground, which is why we say and why we mock. Why would we say what we say about them? You have to do your research. <clears throat> Jim Beheim was not wholly involved. In fact, when Jim Beheim found out about the academic fraud, he did the opposite of what Jim Paterno, uh, what Paterno did. He did the opposite. He spearheaded the investigation. He spearheaded the internal investigation, found out academic fraud happened, and then reported it to the NCAA almost immediately. So when you look at it like that, you will see that the NCAA did, in fact, overreact. When the NCAA told Beheim, you have to set these players, did those players play? Absolutely no. not. Their asses were on the bench until the NCAA gave the okay they can play. Their asses were benched. Didn't play. Didn't even think about playing. And did that hurt Syracuse? Yes, because Fab Mello was one of the best defenders that year, surprisingly. Fab Mello made an impact. And if they found... And look... They apparently, allegedly, and we're going to get into this later, allegedly they did find a legal method to pass that mellow. They did. It's in the report. But they decided it would be easier to do the illegal method. They thought they can get away with it. They couldn't get away with it, but they thought they could. They found a way where... They could get they not they could get away. It would be within the NCAA's rules if they had just gone in that direction. This whole point would be moot, other than the drug thing. Now they are going to restore Beheim's wins, and my argument is this: if you're going to restore the win the wins of a guy who covered up child rape for more than five years. You're going to restore the the winds of the guy who spearheaded the academic fraud investigation, found it, and then reported it to you. There's why I think they're going to restore Beheim's wind. That point's moot. Number two, Syracuse should have been fined for this. Daryl Gross should be fired. Daryl Gross is done. And the fact that he has not resigned in shame is shocking. I think Daryl Gross is done. 
Although I think his his theory is right now Jim Beheim's going to take the fall. The ten twenty three. No, I'm not going to speak for too much longer. Syracuse should have been fine. They should have lost scholarships. That's understandable. You could claim some lack of oversight. That's understandable. The wins will be restored. Bayheim's going to fight the suspension. It'll get cut down to maybe like maybe two or three games, max five. But that that's it. The NCAA overstepped their bounds here. They overreacted. They overstepped their bounds. And if this goes in front of an arbitrator, the the arbitrator is going to say, look, you messed up. And by the way, you don't have any right taking away wins when you restored the child, the guy who protected the child rapist's wins. Because the NCAA can never live that down. They um, can never leave, live that down. Just one little correction. You mentioned that... Um, they they decided to go with um, when you were a talking about they found a, they found way, a legal yeah. way to get the players to, to get the player within the rules back on the court right. Well, what happened was the player and I'm I'm not, I'm not mentioning his name for a reason. You know we know it's Fab Mello. Um, well, you just mentioned his name. I so mentioned it because you mentioned it's it. Fab Mello. I, I wasn't mentioning it for a reason, but you mentioned it, so it's okay. Oh, everybody um, and their mother knows it's Fab yeah. Mello. Well, the, he allegedly, okay, all this is allegedly. Um, apparently, the legal way to do it, the whole grade change thing, try to raise a grade, he turned in a paper. Um, it, was inad- it was ruled inadequate, and, in, and that they had very little time to handle the situation. They had a game coming up. They wanted him to be eligible for the game, and that's when they went into the illegal ways to do it. All right. That's when they did that. So. Okay. So you know what? Then I stand corrected. That's that's fair. But even if you're in that situation, right? It would be more beneficial for the program if he just sat. Oh yeah. For that game, and you say, "All right. Well, after the game, we'll find a way for you to kind of pass this course. If that means tutors." Tutors helping you with your work and not doing your work, unlike North Carolina. God, if if any program is going to get the damn death penalty, it's going to be North Carolina. When you have at least two decades of academic fraud, you're North Carolina. Let's call that one how it is. But I digress. Um... That's what I was gonna say. Um, yeah, it's gonna. And by the way, that's something we will talk about when we, we revisit this and talk more about the NCAA in general. We always do one of those NCAA shows. We're gonna be doing one. We're gonna talk about what this means because they did change the rules. And look, a lot of the circus investigation happened before the rule change in 2013, August 2013. It's been said that if the, if this took place before uh, after that rule change, Jim Beheim would have received a full year suspension and Syracuse would have had a two year postseason ban. You now know that you, North Carolina is probably looking at at least that because they're going to be investigated next along with SMU 
if not more, you know, more of a like Mike, like you noted, it could very well be the death penalty as as far as punishment is concerned um, for the programs at both those schools. More so, probably North Carolina because it's been a longer time. And that could be a delicate issue because of the whole. It goes back. It might go back to Dean Smith. May he rest in peace. That's a very delicate issue. Um, that's going to bear watching uh, as we go along here. But you're right. It's it's. You know, it's it's just so surreal. You 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 know, you got a guy that the coach that did every. You know, he reported it. It's not like he tried to cover it up. And I want to I want to mention this too. And you mentioned you mentioned it. Look, when Syracuse sat Fab Mello, when Jim Beheim and Syracuse sat Fab Mello down because he was ineligible, they were unbeaten. They were twenty and zero. They sat him down then. They kept him out for a few games, put him back on when they were told he could play. And then they set him out for the NCAA term, and I know, but 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 you, I mean, it's not like they didn't, you know, when when it was told to keep him off the court, Jim Beheim did what he was told. All right, now I know behind the scenes there were people working to get him back on the court, and the reason why he was put back on the court during that season was because of nefarious means, you know, shady means. I understand that, but the fact of the matter is, when the coach was told to keep him off the court, he did. It's not like the guy played the whole season, and I mean, come on! It, it just—it's it, it, just the whole thing is going after the head coach is ridiculous, and acting like he knew is ridiculous because the the actions and behavior of the head coach did not back that up. If you really look into it and you evaluate everything that's happened, it doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. And the athletic director Daryl Gross does need to be fired. Remember, he was an assistant in the athletics department at USC when they had their sanctions happen, when all their their bad stuff happened that got them sanctioned by the NCAA. So he's got a history. Why they, these, these guys get hired, coaches, athletic directors, when they have a history of this stuff happening under their watch, I don't know, but it, it happens. And we will continue to monitor the situation. Obviously, like I said, we will have an NCAA show, as we always do right around the Final Four. We'll talk about NCAA issues which will include the Syracuse issue, among other things. We will talk about it, no doubt about it, As we, in, in the next few weeks we'll have that show, so stay tuned for that. Um, we didn't get to wrestling. We can't get to wrestling. I apologize for that. We'll talk about it on a future show, uh, what happened with the talent meeting yesterday. I will say it did have something to do with social media. Um, also, for you people that are interested, Daniel Bryan's WrestleMania match has been confirmed. If you're interested in that, you can check out the SmackDown spoilers or watch SmackDown this coming Thursday on Sci-Fi. That was a nice plug. All right, so with that all being said, we are done for tonight. Um, as always, this is a good show. As always, I mean, your interactions and contributions to our show have to stop. And you can feel free to send us feedback, questions about the show and so scheduling topic ideas, ratings. Sports Entertainment Wrestling, breaking news items, ready to Sports Entertainment Wrestling, that makes you recover. Any of those things, uh, questions about the show and show scheduling, as I said, any of those things, send via email, Facebook, and Twitter. Email us, itspotlightbg at gmail.com. Again, itspotlightbg at gmail.com. And please remember to put in the subject line of email some idea of what, you, what, what you're most about. If it's feedback, if it's questions, you know, reaction to something one of us said, just label it as such and help us out with organizing, organizing things. We'd appreciate it. You can also tweet us, again, and follow, uh, and follow us on Twitter, at ITSpotlightBG. Again, it's at ITSpotlightBG. That's my Twitter handle as well as the shows. And please remember to use the hashtag, hashtag ITSpotlight. Hit the hashtag ITSpotlight for anything you tweet regarding our show. 
To find us on Facebook, search us with our full show title in the spot where Brian Gardner. And once you find our fan page, like our page, and go ahead and post whatever you to post, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or email. If you post this on it, I assure you, we will see it. You have to take myself, take turns looking at those things, looking at everything. So if you don't hear, get a reply back or hear a mention or, or hear a mention or acknowledgement of what your poster sent on the show, don't freak out. We just can't get to everything. We, I mean, we can't reply back to everything. We can't use everything. That, 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 that does not mean that we didn't read or see what you post or sent. just means we couldn't get to everything. So just be assured of that. We encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for the latest show information. Otherwise, check out our main show page here on TalkShoe.com for the latest show information, including access to all the episodes since our move here to TalkShoe, which is available. All of them episodes available in the episode archive at the bottom of the page. All episodes in order from most recent to the oldest. We have dates, times, numbers, and descriptions. Episode descriptions you will get if you click on the little I next to each episode. Also, most recent episode available in the top right-hand corner of the most recent episode box. Just click on the play icon box, and the episode will play for you. Also, anytime I schedule a show, which is usually no earlier than a half hour before showtime, you uh, will see a countdown clock coming down to the next show right below the most recent episode box, and you'll get an upcoming episode listing um, on, the, on the show page that will appear right above the episode archive, you'll have the date, time, number, and description, which, again, you'll get if you click on the little I next to the episode. You'll have all that information about our next show. You'll know what's going to be coming up, et cetera, when it's going to start, et cetera, et cetera. So if you see the upcoming episodes thing in the countdown clock, you know we're definitely having a show, know when it's going to be, and know everything about it. So make sure to check out our talk show, show page regularly, during, especially during the week, but especially on show days. Tuesdays and Thursdays, particularly Tuesdays and Thursdays nights, just keep hitting refresh during those periods. And when you see the countdown clock and the upcoming episodes of this thing, you'll know we're definitely having a show. We also invite you to check us out on our second home, LibsIn.com. Much like on TalkShoe, you want to search for us using our full show type in the spotlight of Brian Gardner. And then once you find our main show page, scroll down, you'll find all the episodes, pretty much our most, all of our most recent episodes, in order from most recent to the oldest, labeled with dates, times, numbers, and descriptions for your convenience. So if you're interested in those, check us out over there on LibsIn.com. Again, LibsIn.com. You can also check us out on our old home, BlogTalkRadio.com. Just search for using our full show title in the spotlight of Brian Gardner. And then once, you fi- once you're taken to our old show page, scroll down, you'll find all of our first 31 episodes ever of our show, the original 31 episodes of our show, first 31 episodes ever. You can check those 31 episodes out over there. They'll always be there. So please feel free to check them out over there if you're interested on BlogTalkRadio.com. You can also check us out on iTunes, Mike. iTunes, subscribe, search, enjoy, download. Be with us there. Support. There you go. Thank you very much. Apologize for rushing, but my phone's about to die, so I'm trying to hurry. Um, Oh, now you try to hurry. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 you wasted time threatening to kick me in the nuts, so that didn't help either. That's that. Oh, no, that's not a threat. That's a promise. Yeah, I figured. I want to thank Jeff Tech for being here tonight. Thank you, Jeff Tech. I want to thank Mike for being here tonight. Thank you, Mike. Most important entertainment story of the night. The new Inside Out, Pixar's Inside Out trailer is out, and I am about to watch it. So there you go. I heard it's amazing, so. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's amazing. I want to pet myself for another great show. 
great show to me. Pat myself on the back. And thank all of you for continued support and contributions to the show. Thank you so much for listening. Sorry for rushing through. I wonder if anybody actually understood that, if it was coherent. I, I, I was swearing words and mess, but even more so than usual, and messing words up more so than usual at the end of that. But I got through it quick. So, All right. Um, we are, as I said, we are done for tonight. This is our only show of the week. Our next show will be a week from tonight. Um, and by the way, for those interested, Gonzaga is winning 54-48 over BYU in the second half. It's 54-50 now. So if you're interested in that, that's the last automatic bid available tonight out of the WCC, that game on ESPN if you're interested. Um, this is our only show of this week. Our next show will be a week from tonight, which is actually St. Patrick, uh, Patrick's Day. I got it wrong. I was telling Mike yesterday, yesterday that it was uh, Thursday, the first Thursday of the tournament. I was wrong. It's, it's next Tuesday. So, um, so we are going to have a show on St. Patrick's Day. I know, crazy, huh? But we are. And as far as I know, anyway, if anything changes, stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter page and our talk show page. I, I, I don't see why we wouldn't have a show next Tuesday. But that is our next show next Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day, broadcasting live here on Talk Show at 8 o'clock from Eastern Time. We'll go over the brackets, um, box, um, you know, t- picks in the routes and sleepers, make our predictions, all that good stuff, um, discuss all the teams that were left out that shouldn't have been, you know, all the brackets the major bracket debates and topics we'll talk about. And obviously the box office beat as well. So it'll be a sports entertainment combo again, more than likely next Tuesday. So that will be next Tuesday's show. That is our next show. And we'll see if we do a second show next week. But right now, as I said, we're playing it by ear. So, But that's it for this week. I hope you all have a great rest of your week, a great weekend, and a great start to your week next week. Enjoy the college basketball games. Enjoy your week. Any St. Patrick's Day festivities this weekend, enjoy those as well. Um, stay tuned to my Twitter and Facebook pages. I'll be posting like live reactions to some of the college basketball games over the next week, some of the conference tournament games I'll be posting reactions to. So if you're interested in that, you can get that from my Facebook or Twitter page or the show's Facebook or Twitter pages. Um, so if you're interested, check those out. Otherwise, next show, a week from tonight, March 17th, broadcasting live here on TalkShoe next Tuesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. That is our next show. Until then, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.